Hello and thank you for listening to the podcast. We appreciate it and we appreciate a lot of help from a lot of people uh, all throughout this journey. So we've got a couple of shout outs we're going to make here. The first shout out being to Beck Sutton, the graphics designer who is designing our logo. Uh, she is the creator and owner of Primal Studios, which can be found on Facebook. Or if you go to primalst.com, you'll be able to find her work there. And she is fantastic at what she does. Yeah, and the second shout-out we'd like to make is to Andrew Stanton, composer of uh, the song Escape the Oppression, which is the kick-ass song for our intro. We love the song, we love the dude. You can check out more of his stuff on uh, soundstripe.com, where there's plenty of songs by plenty of other artists as well, uh, where you can license for podcasts. So go check it out, and uh, yeah, see what's on there, and see what you can use. Stay frosty. A lid from a T-Rex, very scary T-Rex. A lid from a T-Rex, very scary T-Rex. Hello and welcome to The Songs That Made Us, the podcast where we don't really have anything to say for a change, but we are without Connor and we do have two fantastic musicians in his stead. Introducing the Indelicates. Hello. Hello. Hey guys, so it's uh, Simon Indelicate and Julian Delicate. It's, I will say, an honour to meet you guys, even though you were never sort of you know, the biggest band in the world. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it was never a 90s Metallica. I'm not even sure I've heard of myself. <laughs> <laughs> well it's best eh? as long as you enjoy doing it that's always the main thing like i've never I... enjoyed it now it's all just been spite and bitterness <laughs> <laughs> well i think you can still enjoy spite and bitterness that's how all of my lyrics really is <laughs> <laughs> but um see we're gonna well we're mostly gonna be talking about the two albums you guys have picked but i will on a slightly fanboyish level I will probably pick your brains about some indelicate stuff as well but i'll try and keep that to a minimum because i don't want to <laughs> don't want to be irritating um but one of the one of the more interesting concept albums of all time for me is david crash superstar which is the third album it's when people when people usually do concept albums there's usually some there's sort of some obvious overarching theme so if you say look at my chemical romance black parade was about death and the whole process of passing yeah. on um or even if you go back to queen's right operation mind crime you know, the government attacking you I never thought you would end up with an album purely about the life and times of David Koresh, followed, <laughs> followed up by your know, Timothy McVeigh mentions to Ruby Ridge, things like that. <laughs> like, what was the what was Genesis? It was it literally just a thought in your brain? You went, we could run with this. Actually, it's, I, I can specifically tell you in that we I have a, a musical that I wrote years a long time ago um, called the Book of Job the musical, which is the, an adaptation of the. The biblical story of Job is the one who that God comes down and like afflicts him with various diseases and kills all his children just to see if he'll still love him. Yeah, so it's a kind of needy <laughs> Old Testament, sort of whiny needy God. Um, and he's best friends with Satan in the Book of Job, so Satan's a big character in that. And like he's so we we do this show um, before we form the band. We wrote that, and it's kind of where we we just sort of stand in a line describing what would happen if we had any money. 
So it's like we're talking about the <laughs> hamster wheel with the, the gay police choir and the pyrotechnics. So we're saying this would be happening. But, um, um, the guy who plays the part of Job, I play Satan in that because I play Satan in everything. Um, <laughs> the, the, the guy who plays the part of Job in that musical during rehearsals for that in like 2003 or four or something like that, um, said something like, oh, what's next? Waco the musical. <laughs> <laughs> as a joke like as a stupid, what kind of moron would do that um joke and then and i went hmm that's interesting and then it just never left my head so about six years later i was just like you know i'm gonna write that <laughs> stupid waco musical to annoy the record company um that we were signed to at that point because they really didn't want us to um was that, um corporate at the time you were with no, so corporate is is we own that so that's the kind uh, right, we were so signed okay. to a we were signed to a record company called weekend records you had a a, a, a nudie lady is their logo and um and the slogan was home is where the record player is and um yeah they were just like a midlife crisis come to life and was, yeah um but we were signed to them for the first record which they gave us an advance and everything which is because they, they don't really do that anymore so it was, but that was only the first record and then they kind of went bust and we got our masters back and it was all a whole thing um and then corporate records was the record company that we made to release stuff but at the time we were saying yeah our second album is going to be this uh, Waco concept album and they were like no it isn't <laughs> that's, that's a terrible idea we're like, no it's not as good you'll like it and they're like we won't like it um, and in the end they went bust and we released it anyway and 10 years later people are still talking about it on podcasts so who was right it was them um, <laughs> oh, I think well I think despite it being a concept album you've got to try and fit every song into into a specific narrative to keep the story going musically the album is flawless in my opinion like even um just you know i'm correct that bass line at the start good followed bass. in by the vo- it, it was <laughs> it's a very good bass line which i think that bass line is the first thing i wrote of the whole thing at the time i think it was like i had that bass line in my head i think that was the thing that got stuck in my head after chris had said waco the musical i had this sort of like that i am correct little hook thing and that bass line i think that was that, that was there long before we'd written anything else mm. i think i'd like hum that to myself wouldn't i yeah yeah i'm sorry i just should say because julia's standing behind me julia has a a, ba- a sleep now sleeping baby attached to her which is why I'm <laughs> she's not. um that's okay it's not a problem guys <laughs> um but yeah if it needs to be in the future we can always try and do um solo one with julia for the cabaret so i maybe think that'll make it yeah yeah we'll see yeah yeah which or yeah. you can swap places or something or, or yeah, you can yeah. stand closer yeah, to the yeah, screen yeah. Yeah. Once, he's, once he's asleep we should be okay He's, he's asleep now. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, okay. you, she can't tell he's asleep. He's strapped to her front. Face <laughs> he's no idea what his situation is. I think he's asleep. He's alive? Yeah, he's alive. He's just, just asleep. Yeah, as long as he's alive. That's <laughs> the main thing. That's the main thing. But yeah, like, but even the, um, even the songs that you think would have a lesser feel to them, so say like Ballad of ATF mm-hmm. or um, McVeigh, they all work so well. And the fact that you managed to make a catchy song about the atf <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, well thanks very much <laughs> that's okay that's my fawning done for a bit <laughs> well, cause it, obviously because obviously the, you've got all these guest stars as well on it so like yeah um, mcveigh obviously has jim bob from carter the album yeah. Mark, which I'll... i'm still i still haven't coped i can't cope because like i was so into obviously i'm just moving on to talking about the thing i was going to but yes. I was super into Carter when I was 12. Like, they were my favourite band in the world when I was 12. And when you're 12, there's no real difference between, like, famous people you like. So, as far as I was concerned, Jim Bobbies is, like, as famous as Michael Jackson or whatever. There's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no kind of gradation. They're just, like, you know, they're famous people from when I was an actual child. Well, and so I still, can't, them. 
So even having had Jim Bob sing on the album, I still couldn't I couldn't cope with it. So I just had to talk to him through Julia, sort of hide in a different room. Say, don't tell him to do it like this. I can't. I can't. Um, yes, yeah, but yeah, he did. I think he did a great job in the end. Yeah, he did. Yeah. After Julia told him what to do, I said, sing it more like Jim Bob. <laughs> Well, what we'll do then, now that we've brought Jim Bob up, yeah. we'll start having a look at uh, 1992, the Love Album by Carter USM. Fabulous. Which is uh, your pick of an album. Now, always sort of main thing we go into is like, what is it about an album that attracts you to it? Or what is it about longevity wise? How does it stay with you? Was it the lyrical composition? Because I've the lyrics on it were fantastic yeah uh, but also that weird mix of the music behind it as well just what drew you to it or how did you discover it even okay so uh, that album comes out in it's called, i suppose it does come out in 1992 doesn't it because it's called 1992 um the first song is called 1993 three. Like, <laughs> a little bit um i think up until when i was into music in terms of i had like you know, if Cliff Richard brought out a single that was like the 100th Cliff Richard single, I'd buy that <laughs> because it was an event. And I had like the Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers seven inches. I don't know if I'm play. But I think Carter and 30-something, so the album before the Love album, is probably the first time I'd heard music and gone, oh, right, no, that's for me, that. <laughs> that's that yeah. me. Someone's, that's not just for, for the BBC or whatever. That's someone's... Um, and, it's and you know, it's just the kind of blend of the, the, I mean, the lyric, lyrically brilliant and so funny and intellectually coherent and um and just just total control over the language that's in the lyrics of the car record there's, there's no kind of vagueness and illusions it's specific and it's about particular things and it, the things that are, are trying to be said are said perfectly and with real care so I think I was yeah. into that but also the, the way that Carter do this thing that is like probably my favorite thing in the world which is doing the absolute best with what you've got mm. not and it's not the same as like having loads of stuff and deliberately making things sound worse which i hate <laughs> so if someone does <laughs> that kind of like precious lo-fi stuff that people used to do in the early 2000s that really used to annoy me because it's like well you've got an amazing studio so why are you recording into a reel-to-reel tape recorder it's ridiculous like but <laughs> if you've only got a reel-to-reel tape recorder and you nevertheless try and write like la traviata with it <laughs> like that's the sort of thing that i'm so and it actually is you brought up that you said you mentioned the blackout the the black rate which is another great example of that because that's a genre of music that i like hate so much i can't that sort of sports medley um like blink 182 style sort of thrash american mm. punk thing. I hate that style of music but to take that style of music and go i'm gonna write an epic concept album about death like that sounds like queen ultimately it's like you sort of go yeah that's amazing because you're doing you're being really ambitious with what you've got and i think kind of carter summed that up a little bit like like the love album it's got this overture at the start which is but it's a drum machine and two blokes you know with with some guitars and like but even though they've got even though it is just a drum machine and two blokes they've got they've gone no we're going to have an overture and we're going to cover like the impossible dream from man from the mantra and we're going to just it's just this sheer ambition despite the restrictions around them so i think that's what really really got me at the time well the thing that hooked me like because when we when we go and listen to the albums that other people picked our main worry is sort of are we gonna like this yeah. um we've we've had to listen to a george michael album i listened to that, that podcast it was good like, I, I i thought you really did well of no because like there's a we, lot we, to find in george michael so like, i think you kind of you sort of there's a 
there's, you can yeah. anything closely and there's a lot to find in it well exactly yeah especially the it was going back to the lyrics and the vocals although the the funny thing is connor didn't listen to the album either he, he was <laughs> i had to do the heavy lifting because <laughs> uh, we usually do like a five minute call beforehand like just me and him say you know this is all you know the background yeah. st- background stuff now um and i was very much like right so what did you think about the album well listen to the first song okay Anything else for me, Connor? No. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but it helps. It helps when you've got the right yeah. guests to talk about it with as well. Like Harriet is fantastic as a right. human being. Like we're old drama students. She's our old drama teacher. Yeah, it came, <laughs> came across. It was, it was lovely. Actually, it was really nice. Um, it was a nice listen. Yeah. Well, long may those kinds of podcasts continue until we <laughs> until we get to our bitter, angsty face. <laughs> where we, I'm still working against just a few people you hate who. <laughs> Well, I'm working on getting some bread. The teachers you didn't like, just go back to my <laughs> evil PE teacher who's going to come on. Go, yes. I'm going to, I don't know what album. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the worst possible album you would have to pretend to like. Oh, God. Um, I like to think that I'm quite varied in music taste, but I think if somebody did bring in, say, anything anything that was done pop-wise in the past 20 years, I reckon would probably not oh. sit there with me <laughs> i know some of that though i do think you've got but, but even that i think if you really pay attention like something like okay something like call me maybe by carly ray jepson it does look <laughs> like that, but there is, a, there is a thing that she does in that chorus where she like reverses the melody and it's really and like pushes one is it's really clever and you kind of go if you just it, i think it's just it is literally just a case of if you really hone in on something and just take it on its own terms and like pay attention i think you can find apart from okay so uh, the reason i, I did a uh, like a covers album of songs made famous by children okay um as a kind of bonus thing for an, another project and like in, to do that so you had to really pay attention to some of the worst like like objectively worst singles of all time things like grandma by st winifred school choir and stuff <laughs> i sort of did like a punk rock cover of that and it was but like like that but like grandma by st winifred school it's got a really cool key change in the middle like it's got like it's got an interesting melody and the only one that i couldn't find anything in it's like was um the Billy Piper song, which actually a lot of people like, but I kind of you sort of really pay attention to that, and there's just nothing there. Like the orchestration's awful, and like the singing's bad, and like just nothing in it at all. But I, I found loads in Umbop. Right, Umbop is a great. Like, <laughs> vocal performance in Umbop. You try and copy it, and you can't. It's you have to actually. Took me like a whole day. It was really hard. Yeah, really, really hard. It's a very good vocal performance. Stunning. It's like yeah. See, I managed to completely like miss out on Mbop and things like that growing up because I was pretty much sat in front of Krang uh, uh, as a kid. <laughs> so I I could tell you everything from Metallica at that time. Sure. <laughs> it was on constant rotation. Um, but I grew up in a household which my mum's a goth and she's been a fan of you know, heavy metal, death metal. So that was all I was raised on. <laughs> it wasn't, Fair Fair yeah, it took me till about 13, 14 before I was sort of there going, I'm sure there's other music styles. I'm not too sure <laughs> yet, but uh, it got to be out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's yeah. how you discovered Screamo Crunk. <laughs> <laughs> I got well into Screamo Crunk. Someone told me this is the worst music genre that's ever existed and you'll hate it. Uh, you should listen to this. And I listened to it. It's like, I love it. This is great. This is great. I love it. And they were so annoyed. <laughs> so just it was my brother. It's like, you don't love it. I was like, I do love it. It's great. But yes, I'm not entirely sure how much that was true. <laughs> oh, I always end up finding, because there's only so many times you can hear metallica songs before you go well you're not really singing about anything anymore <laughs> it's just you've got 
you've got a guitar riff, you've had to put something over it. Um, so yeah. there came a certain point where I became fascinated with um, bands that were just lyrically weird, like even with great music, but bands who would go out there with the lyrics, which is where my love of the Manics come from. Cause as yeah. soon as I, you know, picking up the Holy Bible for the first time and going, oh, OK, very first line in the opening track, they're using the word cunt. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with that album. Uh, that, I could have picked that album if I didn't know you'd already picked it. So it's an amazing album. Yeah. Oh Christ, I could still talk about that for days. But <laughs> well, go ahead. I was like, yeah, I remember. I, I saw the, the I saw the Manics in 1994, like the last the last three gigs that they did with Richie, and it was like, oh Christ, yeah, yeah, it was like that's... this huge fucking deal, and it was like, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I was I was very into that record. I suppose they kind of cut along. I kind of probably listened to the Carter record more consistently, so it probably is a better choice this but like yeah the, the holy bible would, would be up there worst thing the car one itself is unique like i don't think i've actually managed to hear anything like that of all the albums i've listened to like right. we've not where you're talking about um 993 where they're sort of coming in with like well we're gonna have an overture here but we've got all this going on as well yeah it reminded me oddly of i don't know how much of a video gamer you are or if you yeah no i do yeah i'll, I'll do some of that do you remember the old Final Fantasy the Ender dragon twice in lockdown <laughs> fair <laughs> achievement that's all i've achieved is I've, I've beat the ender dragon and then i beat him again to show my son <laughs> oh, i'm currently stuck on playing the last of us at the moment because i'm about five years too late to the party but or maybe a bit longer even i've never played it don't i have a, we have a, we are an xbox not a playstation household so I, I, i've never played it i've got both i um, I, I try and be as uh, bipartisan as i can with the game yeah, yeah it's very it's very diverse and equal opportunities committed of you <laughs> exactly <laughs> as long as they both keep pumping out good games i'll be happy um <laughs> but the so 993 musically it reminded me massively of the old um final fantasy game scores you know what i know exactly what you mean yeah yeah um nobody you met sir right it does yeah, yeah just just like a battle theme yeah. you know, it's just this yeah, weird yeah, sort of thing not? like <laughs> <laughs> I say, go, hold on a second. Have I booted up Final Fantasy VII somewhere in the background? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great for me because I'm huge Final Fantasy. That was, you know, one of my go-to games for years and still right, probably yeah. is to this day. So <laughs> that's a good way to start an album for me. It's like, oh, here's a score by Nobu Matsa. <laughs> I'm almost certain that they that was not in their minds. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I think I know. I, I see what you mean. I think it's, it's true. It is kind of like a battle theme. Yeah. 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 I suppose so, yeah, yeah. What, 1992? No, the, yeah, the, the overture at the beginning. Of the, oh, right, yeah. Where it's yeah. like... Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, it does. Just imagine, like, Japanese people yeah. like, with, with colourful hair hitting each other with big swords. Yeah, totally cool. works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it you does. possibly ruined my favourite album. <laughs> 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 no, you haven't. It's good. No, that's good. <laughs> well, so, obviously, going through the rest of the album, like, what's, what are the key standouts for you that sort of truly hooked you? Although I know that's always a hard and impossible question for an album that you love. <laughs> I mean, I like I like an album that's good all the way through, um, and I, I I I can't stand it when people front load albums. Um, so like perfect, like best example of that, like Hot Fuss by The Killers, which mm. is like banger, banger, a bit less for banger. That's all right. What is this? Oh, fine. That's the experience of listening to Hot Fuss by The Killers, and it's like for the first five are bangers, and then they build it. But don't like at least spread the filler out through the record. You know what I mean, but but and I love it when people put like the the st- like standout singles like last thing on the album because like the expectation is you'll listen to all of it, and it's not just a commercial concern. Um, yeah. And I, so like this one's got like you know the Impossible Dream right at the end, which is you know clearly the thing. That, but then it sort of 
that's prefigured musically and it's the 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 the, the little um refrain that they have at the right at the start of the overture go keeps coming back through the album so it's kind of got this sort of musically coherent um but obviously there's singles so um the only loving boy in new cross is is a uh, one of I think one of the greatest singles of all time, and that's there. After the watershed, it turns out it's back on the album now because that yes. wasn't on the album for, when I had it. Right, it was because um, of the Rolling Stones suing. Yeah, that um, was a Ruby Tuesday, wasn't it? Yeah, which is you know again, I'm still annoyed about it <laughs> <laughs> because definitely if you I suppose because if you inhabit a world where if you inhabit a world like we do, mediated by media, in which you're the way that you understand the world is is usually passed through um culture that you 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 take so you know it's impossible to have a conversation now about anything of any significance without referring to the cultural products all of which is owned by somebody and you can't really write like carter without directly referring to things like ruby tuesday it's like it's part of the background it's part of the environment it it shouldn't really belong to someone or it doesn't make sense to me that it does and that they then that the rolling studies lawyers decided to get in on that and try and get some money out of it always struck me as like infuriatingly cheap even before i was old enough to have a have sort of complicated thoughts about it um well, so especially that's, when that's... it was a band like the rolling stones who you know they were always going to be at this higher echelon than carter usmr so it seems like yeah. they're punching down for no real reason i think so I, mean, just that I, just, I just find it such a weird attitude that you sit there looking at what is seconds work like, i think people think of music as like oh he's done a great deal of work but people who kind of get really touched like oh well, i wrote that one line it probably took you like 15 seconds at yeah. most to go <laughs> goodbye ruby tuesday yeah brilliant nice one keith great <laughs> like you haven't done anything there and like to be so committed to your own brilliance that you go yes i own that now i own that that tiny phrase that fluttered across my brain like that's that's mine and you must not do <laughs> to pay me like, oh, i mean, that's, that's, there's I thought he remembers actually writing it either. So. Exactly. Something you don't even remember, something that you were so spaced out, you, you can't even remember writing. And you, but you sit there like a king claiming dominion over it. It's weird. And like, I understand that the value of copyright and, and you know, the, the way that it incentivizes and rewards artistic merit or whatever. But like, I find it weird that someone would sit there thinking that they owned art. Because I don't think that about anything I've written. I just I don't feel like any sense of ownership over it. You just sort of let go of it and so it was weird and so it was annoying because that's obviously um one of the another truly great single after Watershed, like incredible what the, the, the just the david ike says is, is amazing and and all of that and that's but that was so it's nice to go on spotify and find that it's back on the album after all these years because the the cassette tape of it that i had when i was 12 did not have after Watershed. so that's the stand-up yeah well, actually, then, well, I, I, western crooked i was going to say it was where i was going with that sky western crooked which is probably closer to a filler track in that it's not sort of not sort of super hooky and poppy but it's just so dramatic and wastelandy and again quite final fantasy i suppose yeah. but and contains the line twisted and strange as fuck which is just <laughs> downplays the album but just in context <laughs> but yeah i love that one well that's thing it always sounds like it's a crude line for a sake of a crude line but if it works it works i've gotten i love songs where, where there is crudeness because it i think for me my issue with I'm not gonna say the music business as a whole, but a lot of bands that come through, they're all they're all too clean. They all sort of tell the line to a certain extent because they know they've got to get this audience, they've got to get this record here, they've got to please the bosses then at the record yeah. company. Nobody goes out there and just sort of middle fingers in the air. 
we're going to say this. It doesn't. Proof of, you know, I, I like that. Here's an interesting um, fact about the band Anal Cunt. Um, <laughs> I haven't um, heard that name in years. Man from Anal Cunt. <laughs> my favourite thing, in fact, I found this out recently. The Man from Anal Cunt, they, they've got a song called um, You're in a Coma, in which he, the, the fella from Anal Cunt, I can't remember his name. Um, do you remember his name? I've got his name. But he, he basically, it's him mocking people in a coma for being in a coma. Um, and then later, but then later he was he went into a coma. He, he's dead now, and he, he he was in a coma. And when he came out of his coma, a journalist asked him, "What was it like being in a coma?" It's ironic considering he wrote a song called "You're in a Coma," and he said, "Yeah, being in a coma, I was exactly as fucking stupid as I wrote it was." This <laughs> <laughs> is my favourite thing. About, so yeah, three people. Good old anal cunt. Terrible, terrible people. <laughs> well, I think I think anal cunt in sort of inspired me for um in terms of putting a very cracking band name together because i read all my every band that i've been in i've always pushed out the name the chlamydia beasts like it for no other reason than i'd love to uh, i'd love to headline glasto with just and now <laughs> the chlamydia beasts <laughs> i just it's such a puerile thing but i was in the he's off though wouldn't it i mean well, yeah, <laughs> it would put the groupies off, but what, if you want groupies, don't start a band with your wife. <laughs> like rule one, definitely. I've heard of them. We met some once in Germany, didn't we? Yeah. But we didn't go home with them because we didn't really understand what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. So how did you? How did you guys meet? Was it sort of like a schooling thing, or you? Yeah, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you go on, try and do an answer with the baby? Um, the, me and Simon met at a poetry slam in huh? and January 2001 after I'd quit university and uh, for the first time anyway. And, <laughs> um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, we met at a poetry and then, um, and then I went to university again and we did some other stuff. But we used to do lots of nights and things together and... Um, and then, um, yeah, and then we got together kind of properly after that. Well, you were in another band, weren't you? In yeah, band? I was in another band, and I'd kind of been in band since I was about 13, so yeah, uh, uh, so I kind of, yeah, so definitely a band person. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much how I did my teens, I was in and out of bands, yeah, but it was all very sort of, I'm gonna say incestuous in the wrong, wrong terminology here, but <laughs> it was. We were only in bands, especially at school, with our mates. Yeah. So if you got if you got kicked out of one band, you had to go find another group of mates, start a rival band. Oh, yeah. that's sad. And then eventually you'd end up back in the original band. What were your bands called? Um, <laughs> well, the majority of them were called the Chlamydia Beasts. Okay. At least in, at least in my own mind. Um, so, look, I can't remember what names they actually want, were. We want to change the name of the band. Right, I'm leaving this band. <laughs> oh, yeah. the Chlamydia Beasts again. Which... <laughs> I, I'm a hard person to be in a band with. I've, I get really... Um, I'm an annoying control freak a lot of times. Due to varying issues of anxiety, I want everything to be pristine in my own imagination. Um, so, do it. Well, yeah. It's just unfortunate I haven't had the musical talent to back it up yet. But I still go in it with, you know, that <laughs> piss and vinegar saying, I want us to be like this. Um, but no, I, talent I, is a social construct. Don't stand for it. <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> headlining Glastonbury when it's back. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> the aim. Well, I'm trying to get well, one of my mates. He actually went off and you know spent years touring the world and cultivating his own little following that he's got. Right. Um, most of his folk music, uh, chap called Jack Cookson. Mm-hmm. I've managed to lure him and 
bring Connor out of retirement on the drums and hopefully when things are a bit more safe, we're going to uh, get together and I'm going to insist on the Chlamydia Beast as the name. Of course. And this time it is it. Um, but no, the, I think we've, I've been in two bands with terrible names. Well, we had one called, the so one I got kicked out of, which was a band that I'd formed after ditching another band and then we still got all the members from the old band in. <laughs> despite the tension um i got kicked out of it and then afterwards they changed their name to it was supposed to be sabotage but it was written in the most general way possible that you could have it so it's okay. sabotage <laughs> s-a-b-e-r-t-a-g-e oh wow that's amazing that's good and at first i always assumed it was because they didn't want any associations with the beastie boys i'm like <laughs> we barely got any association from anyone at this point um I was glad I was out of the band when that name came about. Because <laughs> as soon as I said, yeah, we're called this, it's like, mm, good luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one was, I ended up randomly in a death metal band. Um, ben Baker, from one of the previous episodes, mm-hmm. he he was looking for a bassist. And I was chatting to him. He's like, oh, yeah, you, you do play that thing, don't you? It's like, yeah, yeah. We've been in bands before, Ben. He's <laughs> like, yeah, come along. And it's all these people I don't know, apart from him. So I was like, latched onto him. It's like, what are we doing? What key do you want me to play in? Come on, just tell me things. Um, but they were called uh, Message for the Mortician. Okay. Oh, that's sort of, yeah, that's sort of quite polite in a way. <laughs> sort of likeable. Yeah, it was sort of the acceptable face of death metal. Yeah. Um, musically, it was all going well, and then Ben disappeared, and we were like, oh, oh okay. And then... That's, I know, but I think that's a really good name. That works. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just well, like the way it sounds like someone's changing the mortician. I'd imagine the yeah. mortician is like full corpse paint and just screaming into the face of a dead person, but like, but then it's like ding dong <laughs> message from the mortician <laughs> over a tunnel. Like, yeah, I like it. <laughs> My dad was in a band called Marzipan Pleasure Dome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They supported Slade before they were Slade at Dudley Grammar School, apparently. <laughs> that's my lineage you see that's my my rock and roll lineage <laughs> i've got no rock lineage i come from i come from families of farmers <laughs> they <laughs> never picked up an instrument in their life and uh my dad i got my first acoustic when i was about seven or so and so from... down a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my chair keeps sinking i keep trying to fix it with different <laughs> comical means and it doesn't work so i just slowly sink <laughs> Sorry, Karen. No, that's all right. Um, yeah, got my got my first acoustic. It was about six, seven uh, from a cousin of mine, and I can't even, can't remember the make or model or anything of it really. But my dad's it needed restringing. My dad's attempt at restringing it was to put uh, strimmer wire, lawnmower, <laughs> <laughs> which certainly created a, new, a unique sound. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that, like, if you uh, if you if this was in two years' time after you just headlined Astro with Chlamydia Beasts and someone says, how do you get your sound? And you had that story. It would be like, that would be like rock legend instantly. It's like, yeah, this happened. His farmer dad put strimmer wire and that's how they did that. The cord that saved humanity. That's how they did it. I mean, yeah, that could be an awesome way. And especially with the sort of everything going on in the world. Perfect. Time yeah. to punk band and recreate the 1970s. Absolutely. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. We'll get you up there supporting us. It's fine. Oh, that's really kind of you. Thanks, man. <laughs> In this fantasy world. <laughs> I'm sick of playing the real world. It's rubbish and I won't come. <laughs> but at least you can laugh about it. <laughs> some people exactly, would exactly. So some people would take that to heart. Um I'm gonna jump back to an indelicate question now, actually, just off thinking. You managed to write possibly one of 
I was going to say the greatest love songs I've heard okay. about Unity Mitford. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was that a, was that a your one or was that a Julia one? Oh no, it's a, it's actually a Simon one, but a lot of people think I wrote it. Um, I think that's just that thing that happens when people sing stuff and they kind of think, wow, yeah. she she really means it, and um and I, I do mean it, but I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the uh, it's just a weird thing. Obviously, you go through the start of the song, you're hand in hand in the boulevard and. Always nice, and then it's oh yeah, like Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> shot to the head in a bunker. And you make up, oh, <laughs> it appears to be Nazi related. Yeah, I think there is a theme to to certainly the first couple of records. The, the, if there is a theme, it's that we were so we were really cross about because um, it was all the Libertines were really big then. Yes. And like, I don't hate Libertines. I kind of preferred Baby Shambles, but you know, I don't hate it. But there was this sense of like unquestioned romantic nationalism coming yeah. back, which i was like why are we cool with this all of a sudden we hate this don't we i thought we why why has everyone got union jacks on and prancing about going about england england's rubbish like this, how is this punk and so <laughs> that kind of and i think and so you kind of we were thinking a lot then about um how the, the, just how romantic being romantic is a fundamentally dangerous proposition like this, the wagnerian romanticism is kind of what mm. ends up in really dark places and no one seemed to be thinking about that and i think since i think we've been proved right as that kind of wave of the trickle down from cool people love going on about england in the 2000s kind of ended up with non-cool people voting for brexit <laughs> it's like it's a weird trickle so i think we i think we've been borne out but i thought it was a, the unity mitford thing it was like a really telling metaphorical thing about well this is someone this is someone who believed very strongly in the romanticism of everything but was that romanticism allowed her to ignore the fact that the beautiful apartment she'd just been given in munich used to belong to a jew who'd been evicted and like it's kind of that disgusting underside of young romantic people prancing about in a way actually ties in really well to cabaret because i think that's a major theme in that record as well but like you kind of while while you're while you're floating about through trees thinking everything's beautiful and going on about how wonderful england is like there's an undercurrent to that that is really ugly especially if you ignore it and i kind of think unity mitford totally typified that but it was quite funny because we the the first thing we really did as a band we toured a lot in germany um and we used to play that every night. We just go, like, this is a love song about Hitler. Ha ha. And they'd be like, stop that. <laughs> just, it's not, like, we, we are not. Please do not mention this. We are not. Um, oh, don't cry. Oh, baby crying. Sorry. Um, but I agree with you in, in terms of like that, that period of sort of early to mid 2000s where nationalism. Well, patriotism, depending on how you look at it, I think... It's not, I mean, it wasn't, it's not as... I don't think it was ever, like, we are nationalists or we're patriots. It was kind of like... But it was that wishy-washy, oh, yeah, Albion and England and... Yeah, Just, Albion it's was like, what I was thinking. There's a dark side to it that wasn't acknowledged. Like, I, I appreciate there's an upside to it. And, like, but no one was, like, acknowledging the the weird dark undercurrent of what happens when you go on about your nation in that way. And, like, and was, someone had to, I think. Yeah, I think, well, especially around... That, around that sort of period there was also the undercurrent you'd see it more i suppose in terms of football fans mm-hmm. um you know we had the world cups at the time sort of 2002-2006 we had the euros football england mm-hmm. we were going to win it all we never bloody did but i'm still waiting um but it was that very much the working class culture that came from that as well drinking booze and singing about how great england are oh you're not an england fan punch you in the face yeah that's a it's sort of the microcosm of it that then extends and builds up the egos of people like a Nigel Farage, which could have done without him. Yeah. Or 
Okay. Although arguably it depends. I suppose it depends what happens really. If we do end up realizing that we've managed to shoot ourselves in the face and survive, <laughs> whether <laughs> whether or not uh, you know things get into a better state and this is just the last gasp of populism. Um, I think that's possible too. I think that's possible too. I, I, I suppose I just um, yeah. There's a there's a there's something. You, I just think you could go to bleak places when you when you rose tint things and I can't I think that's my problem with romanticism it's kind of my problem with um I mean like the Julia's old band used to kind of do this retro thing and when they started you'd watch it and you'd think well this is a really um it's a critique of retro um because if you know if you want to go back to the 50s and 60s and you're kind of saying oh I wish it was like the 50s and 60s you can't have you can't do that unless you're willing to acknowledge like part like separation between races in the American South and like women being yeah. locked in the kitchen and it's like it's kind of those things that need to be acknowledged when you indulge yourself in a retro romantic view of life and if you don't acknowledge them it's really dangerous even though there's plenty of positive things to acknowledge and that I mean more and more and I think that's more and more true and certainly our last record was kind of all about the the way that so much of like pop music and all the stuff that we're like massively in love with as musicians and top of the pops and all these things were yeah. largely built by paedophiles in order to rape children <laughs> and like it's a really <laughs> and it wasn't that it wasn't that like Savile and all this stuff was an unfortunate alcove on the side of youth culture as it was created it was youth culture was created to serve the lusts of these terrible people and if you're yeah. going to inhabit the world where you're doing pop music and you don't acknowledge that at all I mean, like, I, was, I was thinking about, I, I think about Jonathan King more than I should. Um, Jonathan King wrote a whole, um, like a, an opera that you can find on YouTube called Vile Herbert, the Musical, which is, it's like, and it's like, it's proper, like, he's really, because he's, you know, he, he knows how to write a pop song, Jonathan King, and like, so it's, it's yeah. quite a very compelling thing. But like, I was reading something about him and saying that the reason that like, in that era, they were so good at finding teen idols was because it was men who were into 14 year old boys who were looking at them going, well, if I fancy him, girls will. And they were right. You know, that's, that's, that was a great way of identifying teen idols. But you can't avoid the fact that that whole, that thing that's kind of beloved of everyone in popular culture, this sort of history of pop music and all that stuff, kind of had this rotten core to it. Well, we, and I, I just think it needs to be acknowledged and brought to the surface as much as possible. Well, no, rightly so. And regardless of, like, obviously, we'll... You'll be somewhat self-facing when we say, well, we talk about the size of the band. But if someone's writing it, I'm happy. Like, yeah. someone needs to be pushing that voice out there. Um, and, yeah, funnily enough, like everything we were saying before, you go over to the latest album, you've got Everything English is the Enemy, <laughs> which is, like, <laughs> the, the ultimate statement of it all. And actually thinking about that, I'm just thinking, well, where did that come from? And there's, in the Love album, there's um, Do Re Me So Far So Good, where Jimbo yeah. sings... Um, where are the songs about boozers and buildings banning the bomb and abusing children? It's a whole record about like, why aren't you people talking about this stuff that's real? Yeah. And he's like directly calls that out. And like that really went in when I was 12. <laughs> like that kind of was like, yeah, that's what, this is what I mean. But it's like, this is an album for me. It's like d- directly saying to me, this, this is how you do things. And like, and I, I, I just, I just sort of believed it very naively. And I've kind of clung to that belief. <laughs> that I just, no, you don't, don't sell out and you don't, you have to write about this stuff and it's and because Jim Bob told me to when I was 12 and I do what I do what I'm told. <laughs> it's what it's You're a good boy. You're just following orders. I'm just following. I'm, on, I'm obeying the orders of a, of a Brixton punk from that's what I do. <laughs> well, I see, I think for me, like my um, 
I didn't really develop any sense of morality until about until I discovered uh, Antiflag, punk American band. I was about seventeen, eighteen. It's like, oh yeah, there's a lot of terrible things in the world. I should probably uh, should probably look into this. <laughs> um, from there, going back, obviously listening to the Clash, Pistols, all that kind of stuff. It was like, I oh, have terrible stuff then as well. <laughs> Haven't we changed? Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's a it's just a weird scenario at the moment more than anything. Yeah, I mean, it's all things are things are very strange in the world now. It's all very strange. There is this thing that happens. I mean, and again, I keep I wanted to just do. It's very hard to write an album at the moment because you kind of like well, I kind of have already written all the songs in advance <laughs> of these things happening. I'm not I'm not saying I'm the new G's. Um, <laughs> saying that I'm David Corrish and that I knew what was going to happen. In them, but uh, but like something I we wrote the song Jerusalem on Songs Between Lovers, which is basically all about right-wing young people thinking they're cool is so, that the line of um it seems rebellious rebellious to the conservative, now. conservative now and yet and that you know no one had heard of milo yiannopoulos then but like it's clearly about him yeah like you know it's clearly about like james dellingpole on twitter the other day take take posting selfies of himself with no mask on in aldi to own the libs and it's just like but he's got this whole attitude of like Oh man, I'm so cool. Look at me. It's like you're not fucking cool, you private school bellends. Fuck off. Yeah, like, you're how dare you? You're cool. Like I'm cool. I'm in a band. I've like given up the possibility of ever owning an income because <laughs> <laughs> in order to play guitar to people in Germany, like that's that's much cooler than you, Dellingpole. You, but you, but yet they've got they walk up, they strut around like they they're in the the New York Dolls or something, and it's like you know you're not you're not cool, and it's not okay. But how? But I've already written the song about that, so I can't write a new one. Well, that's the thing as well with people with people like that and people like um, Milo Yiannopoulos, who mm, I'm not a big fan of that guy. Um, <laughs> but they, <laughs> but they. Well, he's a fascist, isn't it? It's probably best not to be. Well, yeah. <laughs> An <laughs> actual fascist, and well, a lot of people get called fascist now, and I think there's, there's there's merit to some of that. But like someone like Milo Yiannopoulos, I mean, like he is actually he's quite likable as fascists are, but he's a fascist, and it's unacceptable, yeah. and it's not cool. <laughs> like. Nothing well, cool about it. Well, I think my thing with all of these people is they all garnered, they all garnered success, or they got, they built their fan bases on arguing, saying that they are a comfortable position, that they are against the establishment. Yeah. But one hundred percent, if you still live in a, if you still live in a world where you know racism is innate, yeah, the establishment is what you are. If yeah, that's yeah. you're the so don't come out and say that you're an outsider when you're clearly not. The outsiders. Are... The most depressing thing that happens. Oh, I keep. I, I, the, the most depressing thing I've seen in the last decade. I went. I had reason to buy some acoustic guitar strings, um, and went into the big guitar shop in Brighton. Um, and they they keep always move, they're always moving like which department is in which bit of the building. So I got a bit lost because it's a bit amazing. <laughs> and I ended up accidentally going into a kind of back area, thinking it was because it used to be the acoustic bit. Um, and there was this sort of strange droning noise. I was like, fuck. And um, so I poked my head around the door. And there was one of the boys, like the guitar shop boys. You know, you know, you know guitar shop boys. Yeah. The boys are guitar shop shredding. And that's what they do. They shred all day. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing and should be encouraged. But instead of shredding, this boy, you know, in full on like metal hair and you know, like the man, a boy who should have been shredding by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> listening to Jules and Peterson on YouTube. And I was like, yeah. I'm not, this is not the world is upside down. You must 
turn that off at once. Pick up the fucking flying bee and shred some. What are you doing? It was, so angry. It was like I was genuinely like this. This can't be allowed. This can't be the world. But it is apparently. Well, it's sort of they present um well Jordan Peterson especially sort of tries to present a acceptable face of terrible thoughts and ideas. It's and just, it's just people just we need to get. We need to bully these people. <laughs> no, we don't bully. We, but you, you can't think you're cool if you're doing that. It's not okay. It's not cool. It's not cool. Yeah, it's, it's not. Like, it's not it's a like, good thing that like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris are like doing arena tours. That's it's just. I don't know what's happened. It's not right. We need to get back to low down, dirty leather jackets on streets being cool. Not not this. <laughs> yeah, I need a safety pin through my ear. That'll be fine. We'll be cool yes. then. <laughs> but get rabies. Get some tetanus. Tetanus is cool. Tetanus is cool. Maps of being tired. (laughs) Maps of being tired. Tetanus in your ear wired. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) But do you think? um, Do you think a large part of that then will be down to sort of the accessibility in terms of the shows in places they can visit? So, like the Joe Rogan podcast, for instance, millions and millions of hits. Yeah. And he does then have you know the Jordan Peterson, Marionopolis. He's definitely had on there. And it gives them more of an avenue to, well, here's my awful view. And Joe, in my opinion, doesn't really stand up to them that much unless they say something ridiculously egregious. And that's to, you know, millions and millions of people. And it sort of, it ends up lending some sort of credence to what they're saying if there's no one to actually go, well, that's not a fact. That's bullshit. What are you talking about? It's, yeah... Yeah, and I, I, haven't, I haven't really listened to Joe Rogan much. I, 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 when I have, I've kind of gone, oh, okay, <laughs> this is this is this is it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, and you know, I'm not. I'm not I, I would have previously in would have at various points in my life, I would have been very, very much free spe- free speech absolutist, I suppose. Yeah, but I do think I do think there's a kind of I think democracies have the right. If you in in mathematics, there's the Gerdillian um, incompleteness theorem that, that, that kind of there is there are where it's been proved that in mathematics there will always be statements in mathematics that you cannot make without creating a paradox. So it's impossible to ever complete the project of mathematics. Yeah. And I kind of think democracy is like that in that there are things which are incompatible with democracy and fascism is one of them. And it's why it's OK to have like a five percent threshold in elections if you've got first if you've got proportional representation it's why it's okay to say no no there's some things that you just actually we, we can't have because it, it's, it's corrosive to the very to the idea of having a free free speech at all like free speech kind of re- depends on certain things being being unacceptable but i think we were doing a really good job of just going for years and years there was this uneasy compromise where we were able to say no no that's just beyond the pale we don't we don't have them on the television we don't those guys but just we just ignore them those are, those are the crazy five percent that we can ignore yeah and as they've kind of grown in recent years something about the way that the internet has worked is something has kind of broken that just that willingness of people to go oh what do i know <laughs> you know i don't uh, this isn't for me and I, it is really dangerous and i don't know what i think about it i don't know what i think about well um, it's the um it was uh, who was I listening to? I think I was listening to James O'Brien, uh, the LBC talk show host, yeah. who I tend to be a massive fan of his work actually because he does call a lot of stuff out. But he used to do Newsnight, but he basically ended up having to quit Newsnight or was forced out because he would still give his views on Twitter. Mm-hmm. 
in his whole comeback to that as well, I'm not going to give false equivalence to people who are coming on so we have the side of balance when they're going to be factually wrong. Yeah. And I think BBC's, BBC is an amazing corporation. It should exist. But if you're then going to try and balance out arguments when one side is based on facts and the other side is based on feelings, mm. it yeah, it's, a, it's, it's sort a of... confidence, isn't it, with the BBC? Because like, so when people say that oh, the BBC is just full of like left-wing Islington, like you know, yeah. <laughs> they are. Right, it is, um, but like at the same time, because they know that about themselves, they're going, well, we must um, we must have balance then, because we we cannot be trusted because we have our bias, and and they're sort of right, but their answer to that is always this false equivalence thing of like, well, you know, we must balance ourselves out by getting the loudest by getting you know Hopkins or. <laughs> You know, and it's just like no, <laughs> it, but it's like it's because they they what they like is they like um they're like private school socialists in council estates who are terrified of children kicking balls near them. They're like oh no, oh, I want to, eh, eh. and it's this weird. It's like they're afraid of the people. They don't have any kind of understanding of the working class as such, and so they kind of and they're terrified of them. So they go well, they must be. Let's just get this whichever thug is willing to shout the loudest and put them on the television. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, so it's like it's weird, but because they've got a left wing bias, they end up having a right wing bias, which is a really weird, twisted thing. And it's just, it, I think it does just come down to a crisis of confidence where they're just not willing to go, oh, actually, no, I'm not having this guy on. He's clearly a fascist. <laughs> like, we, we can't just let this go. But, well, yeah, it's, it's whether or not, rather really than physical problem. Yeah, it's whether or not they try and go forward rather than present themselves as an impartial program yeah. or an unbiased program, they just present facts. Yeah. Which should seem like a. I say, it should seem like an obvious idea, but this day and age, we know that facts and experts are meaningless. Oh, God. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, again, I didn't mean to bring you on here to depress you either. <laughs> it's kind of come from, because there's a sense in which that's a, a valid viewpoint to sort of say, well, you know, like, like again, the, the, the sort of academic left has has got this thing about facts and whether or not facts are... You know, it's something like IQ, which is a fact, but it's a fact that's full of loaded assumptions that you kind of, when you interrogate, it doesn't come up to much and stuff like that. So there is like this interesting thing to be done with facts. We go, oh, facts do deserve to be interrogated and there's no kind of absolute. But at the same time, when you filter that through stupid people, (laughs) you end up in a situation (laughs) where, yeah, no, that's right. It's Bill Gates putting chips in us. That's why they make up stuff about vaccines. It's like, no, no, that's stupid. What you've done there. (laughs) Or that's not 5G masks, cool. (laughs) coronavirus they do they do maybe i should um should i swap with julia for a bit i'll take the baby so she can talk to her about her album because she's she's (laughs) oh she's feeding at the moment so we can continue going on about politics instead oh that's cool (laughs) it's why i brought you on here i just want to see all your views (laughs) they'll ruin your life the thing about babies is they ruin your life but your life is going to be ruined anyway so that's kind of the way it <laughs> well yeah you hit a certain point it's always always going to get worse yes. so why not just have a baby <laughs> yeah let's talk about, when julia comes back we'll talk more about that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going back to we'll go back to carter yes i'm that we've scratched the surface really <laughs> yes us. sorry yeah um no that's my fault i'm i'm doing a terrible job at least this is why i usually have connor <laughs> here because he reigns me in and stops well i say stops me going off on tangents he sort of he tries to rein me in. <laughs> I like tangents in the podcast. I mean, I'm, again, that's a tangent, isn't it? So obviously, um, I don't. There's a. I, 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 I know there's people who complain about it. I, I listened to one where, where they talk about it's like um, the all killer no filler one where they talk about serial killers and they that's mainly mm. tangents. But I know there are people who complain. Go, oh, just talk about serial killers. 
Like, that's, yeah. No, I like your tangents. I'm a tangent fan, but. Well, that's the thing. Like the way my mission statement, like when me and Connor were talking about this at the very start, when it was just a just a gem of an idea, it was the music's the gimmick. We're getting the people in there to talk to the people. Mm-hmm. The music's just our selling point for it. It's like, yeah, we get to talk about yeah. your favorite album for like ten minutes. Yeah, totally. And then we'll talk about religion for three hours. Which, <laughs> unfortunately, that was a recording we done recently. <laughs> Fantastic! I look forward to that. Oh god, uh, yeah, it was the same one. We both picked the most obscure album out of our collection that we could. Okay. To point, and we both ended up like, we both ended up accidentally going for the option of like, it's got to be a band and an album that has nothing on Wiki at least. Okay. It can't, it can't exist anywhere. <laughs> right. Um, and I think uh, Connor's was Gavin, Gavin Clark and Toy Drum Evangelist, okay. which is actually a really good checkout. If okay. You, it's a yeah, I'm gonna plug it here. Um. Yeah. But it, that whole album talks heavy about religion, and we ended up spinning off into three hours of us pretty much ragging on religion. <laughs> so, so any religious fans that we have, they've now gone. I've been sat with Birmingham on previous ones, so we got no problem with that. I've got to say, all the best reviews, especially of David Corey Superstar, were from religious publications. Like the kind of because um, the, the theology in that is like rock solid. Like there's no fucking around. Like the like the um, the, the the when it when the the, the book about Korish's um, discourse on the seven seals and like that is all from source none of that is made up yeah and, um, and a lot and when people a lot of people who reviewed it were kind of sort of like haha yeah they're sticking it to their stupid cult members and like, which is completely missing the point because I mean the thing that was really interesting about Waco is that loads of them were not stupid at all they were they were Harvard graduates they were multiracial there was it wasn't a bunch of rednecks by any means um and and what's interesting and what's interesting about them is that people who were highly educated intelligent weren't able to believe something that i would find it impossible to believe and like trying to work yeah. out what's going on there was really interesting uh, but when you got like there was a, a texas christian magazine that reviewed it and it was like by far the best because it was the only review that really engaged with what we were doing and it was like okay well i'm not religious at all but like that's what i wanted <laughs> that's the response i wanted <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm complicated that well, I think Kevin Smith had a similar thing when he released um, film Dogma. Right. Is he had um, oh he was born he was born at Roman Catholic, I believe. Yeah. So he brings out this movie which is somewhat lampooning the idea of religion. Yeah. And following all, and outside um, outside a cinema in his hometown, there was a religious picket, and people were saying, "No, we're not going to ever see this movie." All this kind of stuff. And Kevin Smith decided to turn up in the crowd and hold up his own signs. <laughs> <laughs> and the TV camera crew were like, covering it for the news, like, is that Kevin Smith? So they go over to interview him and he gives a fake name. And they're just looking at it going, I'm pretty sure it's Kevin Smith, but he's telling me that dogma is poo, don't watch it. <laughs> and yeah, the religious are the best for advertising products that people are going to see. <laughs> so you think about dogma, dogma is quite, it, that's get quite deep into like, catholic theology doesn't it? it's not um mm. again there's not made up stuff in that it's like the kind of the shit demon stuff that all comes from actual like catholic sources it's not something that he's just so which i think is the best way if you're going to have a go at something you want to really know it i think oh yeah that's why i read the bible years ago <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. i do have arguments i'm gonna make sure i've got it same reason i read the quran and talmud and things like that is yeah. mostly because i'm a nerd as well but that aside <laughs> yeah oh, you've got, you got to read them they oh, might exactly. write, you know, you might, you can't just, if you, they might, they might really be onto something. I don't think so, but, you know. Mm, no. Nah. <laughs> so. But although it does have, 
on my bookshelf i the status in the moment all the religious books is gary just because it's easy to get to however they are bookended by two interesting books on either side <laughs> Uh, on one side, I've got Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Hannah nice. <laughs> S. Thompson. And the other side, I have Mein Kampf. I think I've got something similar downstairs. I think, I think I've, for years, I, did, I, I know I've got like the, the Alistair Crowley, the Book of Lies is next to the Bible, I think. Um, probably something else. There, was, there used to be um, a catalogue you could get from America called the Loom Panics catalogue, where you could get like the best books in the world, but they were all quite like out there yeah. um so that's where you get like the how to disappear completely and never be found you can always buy that the one that the radiohead song's based on but like mm-hmm. my favorite i've got there is called coup d'etat a practical handbook by edward Lookback, which just tells you how to overthrow a government like from, <laughs> but not from the like a cool sort of like revolutionary cool left-wing perspective but just from a like no no if you are practically a military officer wishing to overthrow your government in a kind of hunter this is how you do it just step by step and it's yeah it's a really good book i think i kept that in six as well that catalog was like the, the best thing in the world because well, i think you, you need you need to keep that book next to the republic though where plato <laughs> <laughs> I must have that somewhere. I've got a degree. <laughs> got me that somewhere. <laughs> what, is your, what is your degree in, if you don't mind me asking? I've got a um, master's degree in Renaissance studies. Ah. <laughs> so that's bad. really handy. <laughs> <laughs> I've used it once to get out of a parking ticket, and that's all. <laughs> Just the MA. It's yeah. right. All I've got is uh, I've got three A, well, technically two A levels, which I got, which spell out the word dud when uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was great getting the uh, results back okay. um, but that that was long after the point i'd given up anyway and decided that i was going to do something else <laughs> yeah totally it's, it's, it's no, i mean you know it's, it's all such nonsense but they sent home my five-year-old they sent him home with a report at the end of school and it's just like well what on earth <laughs> he's five what on earth value is that? <laughs> ridiculous i mean and they only do it because parents want it you know they, they the teachers know it's stupid but any, yeah anyway Ridiculous, ridiculous. The whole thing's ridiculous. Julia's back. Hello. Hello. What would you like to say about babies? About babies? Yeah, we were talking about babies and I could hear you going, don't talk about babies unless I'm talking about them too. I didn't say that. Oh, didn't you? No, 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 no. I was saying we can talk about cabaret together because probably I'm... I'm... Oh, I thought, I thought you was, because I was saying, oh, the babies, and it was saying, don't just, it's me that's holding them. <laughs> no, no. I've just kind of been doing like nothing but childcare for a while, apart from like occasionally doing some theatre or like trying to sort of claw together some other stuff and we haven't really had a break so yeah uh, so it's been a bit of a, a bit of a challenge I can't, I can't even remember why I brought that up <laughs> the, um... what, yeah the point is that my, my brain is kind of atrophied slightly <laughs> so, so I start sentences and then I actually just can't remember the end of the sentence at all it's completely gone like it's all just sort of yeah yeah because we haven't with the, with the other one like occasionally you'd have like grandparents take them take them away for a a couple of hours or something, but because of the virus and stuff, we just haven't. Yeah. You, I mean, you've basically been holding that baby for nine months. I mean, he yeah, might, he's, yeah. he's really cry when he goes to me, so he like he just ends up back with his mum. Yeah, and they're they're super, the the lockdown babies are super clingy because of course they haven't really seen any other babies. Yeah, there's no, like there's no groups to go to or anything. Like you kind of rely on groups at churches and stuff to kind of give you a cup of coffee and kind of like that. <laughs> And, and say you're right dear and you're like oh, i'm a bit tired and you can't really do that obviously at the moment no <laughs> like you're not even getting your nice coffee you know oh i'll make your coffee <laughs> it's not the same no i, was, I know you want you want church want an coffee. old lady with coronavirus an old lady with coronavirus in a church <laughs> <laughs> 
really need to sort of watch uh, televangelists in america i want to see how they're going at the moment <laughs> mm. <laughs> that be... you see every few days it seems to be someone who's going is going god, god has told me not to wear a mask to <laughs> two days later i have coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> the best one recently was some voodoo thing wasn't it in new orleans oh, there one. was some it's either in new orleans or in louisiana somewhere there's some voodoo lady spiritualist or something I can't, again, I can't really remember any more apart from that, but <laughs> it's you, true. you should look it up. I mean, you weren't jokes whenever you're... <laughs> no. So there's this chicken on the other side of the road, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. Before he starts to cry again, we should talk about cabaret. Yeah, go on, ask Julia about cabaret. You can, you sit, you go near the microphone. I can't sit down, I'll, 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 well, I'll move the microphone a little bit closer to you so that you can do more. You can hear me all right, can't you? I can indeed. You're coming through loud and clear. Okay. Now, with cabaret... Mm-hmm. Our first thought was, well, that's an odd pick, yeah. purely because we hadn't thought about, oh, yeah, we can look at musicals in this. Yeah, yeah. So background for me, I, I was an A-level drama student, as was the non-existent Connor at the moment. Um, we had seen Cabaret years ago, but I completely forgot about it until I listened to it again. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's really, really great. Have you have you ever seen a staged version of it? If you if you saw it at school, you did it at school. Yeah, yeah, we went to uh, Theatre Royal, so we watched a staged production of it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's different to the film. Which, which one? Who's in it? Oh, God, I can't remember. It's about 15 years ago. Okay, um, when did we explain it? We saw it with Julian Clary. We did see it with Julian Clary. I don't know how long, that's quite a long time ago. Anyway, yeah, it was definitely not Julian Clary for this one. Yeah. I would have recognised him. It? It was like, I think it was because like, he just added this layer of filth. Because yeah. everyone else in it was, was quite like like Rodri and, and proper like high-end stage school. But like Julian Clary was just really dirty. Mm. Which well, I think it was the thing for me of like as soon as um, you start seeing the uh, the swastika come up, and I was like, oh, oh, I see what time period we're in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so the, you... the, the oh, musical is a lot more um, has a lot more in it that um, that makes it. If you watch the musical and then watch the film, it makes a lot more sense in many respects because like, there's mm. a lot more songs in it that kind of kind of connect the dots a bit, whereas in the film version, obviously, it's a great film and an amazing performance and everything. But there's there's a lot of stuff going on that, that in the in the musical that it just isn't there in the film at all and kind of yeah shadow yeah. But that's thing then. So I'm assuming you're a fan of musical theatre then <laughs> overall. Yeah, yeah, um, probably more than regular music. Probably I don't think I really realised that until I was sort of about twenty one. Yeah, we got in. We got into it early, and then after I left school, I suddenly lost interest. I disappeared yeah. from the world for several years. Yeah. Um, but so, what about it then with cabaret? Is it just a case of that hit you be- best out of all of them, or is it just one that you can always go back to regardless? Um, I think it probably defines a lot of um, the art that I've tried to make, and it probably just because it's all about fascism, and I'm kind of obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> exploring that and there's a lot in it that does that you know it's also you yeah 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 i'm half austrian yeah so there's there's, oh. there's a lot of i don't know there's some connections there but i feel like um i feel like it 
it kind of informs being on stage because 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 it because it's fascism all through the whole thing so it's kind of like the people doing things on stage are fascists and i mean they're not fascists but they're like they're they're demonstrating something about performance that is that is really true which is that you yeah you want people to love you and look at you and think that you're the best at stuff which is a bit of a strange obsession to kind of to kind of desire and in a broader sense that's what happens in fascism you you yeah you know the the kind of like idolatry and stuff is you know it kind of ruins whole societies and it just and it all really starts in this kind of small performance way um on stage and there's loads of there's loads of nuance to that so you you know being um being being on stage is great fun and feels fantastic and but but at the same time you're participating in this horror show really of of wanting people to think that you're better even though you don't think you're better and this it's just it's very very complex and i suppose the complexity is really fascinating which which does mean that you can go back to it over and over again and kind of re-explore it and all all like the songs you can play the songs at different moments in time and they kind of make perfect sense like um uh, there's a song called in the stage version there's a song called why should i wake up which is you it's not on yeah. out the film one um and that's just all about being in a dream while all the nazi stuff is happening and it's kind of like that stuff that you could easily just play that now or you could play it in the noughties you could play it in the noughties and 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 just before brexit started happening and that would make perfect sense this kind of sort of walking dreamlike into absolute fascism and disaster um, and it makes perfect sense because it's so well written and it's so well, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think because obviously the um, I can't remember the names of the actual writers initially, but it was all on that backdrop where you've got this rising. I'm going to say it's rising evilness that sort of this bitter undercurrent, which is slowly coming up. And especially if they're well in the what would be the Weimar Republic at the time. Yeah. And seeing how badly that's going post World War One and then. Yeah, this rise of populism and fascism yeah. against the backdrop as well of something that's in terms of the entertainment level of you know cabaret shows and you know music halls and singing and dancing. Yeah. So you've got this thing that is ultimately almost a sort of resplendent version of freedom. Yeah. With fascism rising its ugly head to yeah, snatch both, it all away. Both kind of use each other in a way, don't they? Which is yeah. Again, it's a, it's a it's artistically fascinating because it's because it's all so wrong, but it's also really compelling, which is kind of which is the the tragedy of um well the tragedy of art, I suppose. And she kind of her Sally's attitude is always kind of yeah it's kind of like oh I don't need to think about that I'm an artist yeah and that kind of makes it yeah. a bit. And I think I, I I grew up knowing people like that and kind <laughs> of feeling very profoundly that it was an incorrect and dangerous way to behave. Um, because what happens as a result is, you know, there are huge consequences to that kind of behaviour. And, and and people who do that tend to go, well, I didn't do anything. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't participate in that. I I just wanted to have a good time, right? And I just wanted to yeah. I just wanted to dance around or whatever. But but it does have a consequence. It has a consequence to art and it has a consequence to culture. And we're kind of living that now with, you know, the, there is a huge, like, it's funny because if you hadn't picked cabaret, you'd have probably picked Till Unlimited. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, I quite like I quite like dance music because I because I grew up in Brighton. Everyone was in bands and stuff, so so sort of rebelling against bands and things kind of means 
liking dance music and so I liked dance music and I used to like that dance music was very freeing because you just go somewhere someone would press a button they weren't really famous or anything I mean they got famous but they weren't really famous or anything and then they'd and then you'd dance around and that would be that um and you'd kind of you know hopefully tidy up after your rave or whatever um and I, I think there's, there's there a lot of tidying after a rave it used to be yeah they used to be they, then they all got I, into heroin and stuff so then they kind of yeah yeah I think we yeah. we stopped being polite at a certain point yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not good. Not longer in Brighton, I think, because there's kind of like green party people around, and yeah, you know, they kind of cared. But like even the, the like you know ravey type stuff. Guido Fawkes went and did his. Do you know Guido Guido Fawkes, the right wing blogger, who used to be a rave promoter? Me? No, I don't. Yeah, that was how, that's how he got his how he made his <laughs> He um used to promote like illegal raves around London, and then oh dear, oh. and then yeah, now he's now he's Guido Fawkes. Wow, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There <laughs> yeah. was a, wasn't that there was like some big party in America that they they said where well, they weren't socially distancing enough and one of the DJs the was party. a no <laughs> <laughs> satire yeah. one of them it was like he works for the build not the Bilderberg group the, I don't know. a big bank or something in America but he's also a DJ because of course he is um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and he he was DJing this big party in the Hamptons or wherever oh no yeah, yeah. yeah the Hamptons thing yeah, I saw yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah. Everyone's cross. Yeah. I didn't really pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I quite like Kanye West. I would have probably picked Kanye West as well, I, I, thinking about it. Well, this is the thing we both were like, because other times I've done, I, I did, I remember even last year someone, I did like a radio thing where someone said, oh, you got to pick your favourite thing. And I was like, right, I'm choosing, I chose um, Time Is Up by Poppy, which had come out that week. Because <laughs> I was like, no, I just like, <laughs> I don't like old things. Retro is disgusting. I only like things that are new. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I did do that to you. I was like, what is, Thank you very much. Because I could easily have gone like, right, my favourite album is um, Oil of Every Pearls on Inside by Sophie, which probably is my favourite album of the last year and up two years. But you know, I, oh, I can't really claim yeah. it's been back when I was 12. Yeah. But you just made me listen to Kanye West. Well, I don't really, but I like, I don't really like listening to bands. I never really did. I used to go to like gigs and stuff where bands were playing and to try and meet boys. And it's just, it, you know, it just never really like... I didn't really enjoy being there at all. It just kind of felt like a slog and boring. I had a metal boyfriend for a while and I used to go to his gigs and they were just funny because there was a lot of screaming and stuff. Um, but then I, but I never really got over liking, liking dance and but just liking interesting art. So if there's an interesting, if there's, a, if there's a musician that does interesting art, then I'll be into it. But it, And it doesn't matter what um, type of style of music it is, I'll, I'll definitely still be interested in it. I, thought, Which I suppose I, fits with how well you guys work as musicians yourselves like yeah your music can never be called it's not just like it's four four here's three power chords it's yeah. always musically interesting on top of lyrically interesting yeah i think so yeah yeah julia's good at music she's good at harmonies and stuff yeah i'm all yeah. right i probably should have worked a bit harder and you know i probably i'd probably be really good if i tried a bit harder just about play a lot of things but i'm not um yeah, I, I kind of, I'm a bit of a, I, bit, I give up a bit, uh, which I probably shouldn't have done. I used to play the oboe as well. I was quite good at that. I got really, really good at it and then I gave up. <laughs> well, I, I always tell everyone, so I'm, I always tell everyone I'm primarily a bassist, but I can play 
I can play the keyboard, I can play violin, I can play guitar. I think I played violin about three times before I was like, yeah, these noises aren't nice. Well, <laughs> no, violin is one of those ones you have to play. It's like the oboe, actually. You have to play it for a long time and then suddenly yeah. there's a magic thing that happens and you're finally, it, it, it it's actually sounds okay. But the oboe is the same. The oboe sounds like a duck, sounds like a duck, sounds like a duck for about five years. And then the sixth year, you're like, <laughs> wow, I've just made this sound different. And it's to do with training your your mouth to be able to play it properly yeah. and when you get to that point suddenly you can make it sound incredible but and then yeah a couple of years later I was like yeah I'm bored of this <laughs> yeah I, I usually just get bored I get very bored at the point when I can't do it yeah even though I know if I apply myself I can do it it's I don't know how I end up staying on bass in the end like <laughs> I certainly was not quite that. fun for it to be in a band with isn't it because like you're basically you're like if you're a solid <laughs> bassist you can kind of yes, <laughs> right, that's um, <laughs> if you play if you're as like a solid bassist then you can actually have a really good time just spinning around on stage and stuff as long as you know your parts can't you whereas like if you're the guitarist you kind of like people look, people generally look at you um, and not necessarily looking at you if you're the bassist either, are they? That's like, very harsh. No, no, I just mean that there are disadvantages <laughs> to that situation. Like you can kind of like you can actually enjoy yourself. Where it's like if I make a bum mm. note on the piano or something, people will definitely who. notice. Unless like, you're in the Who. Yeah. In which case, the Who's such a weird band. If you really pay attention to what's happening, like with the Who, like live especially, but it's like yeah. all of the rhythm. Like Pete is the rhythm section on his own on the guitar, and then the drums and the bass are just all over it. Like it's crazy. Like the bass in the. I mean, you'll know this is bass, but like the. The, the stuff that John Entwistle does in those Who records was just like, he's never on the beat or on the point. He's just all over the place playing this stuff, doing all of the kind of counter harmonies and melodies and stuff. And while Pete's sort of desperately trying to keep time with the guitar, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- yeah. I think that's probably why I was never hot on John Entwistle. Like, he's phenomenally talented. Yeah. But for me, a bassist, you're there for a function as well. You can't just be showing off all the time. Although <laughs> <laughs> we... We did do um we did a stage show of uh, Greece going back right. about ten years now maybe a bit longer or yeah. a bit earlier rather um but we weren't in the um we weren't in the actual play part of it me Connor and a couple of other friends got roped into doing being the live band playing Born Hand Born to Hand Jive okay cool and so right. I had to, I had to go through sort out all the sheet music or at least the parts and everything for us like right this is when when he's kicking this is what we're playing it in um. And I'd left about eight bars in the song where I could just have a bit of a play around myself. Because <laughs> everyone else is always got his little solo there. His drums are cracking. Connor's singing it, which is always a bad idea. Um, <laughs> and he'll appreciate it. Like. <laughs> oh, exactly. I just can't wait until uh, I finish editing this episode and send it to him. He'll be like, oh, oh I, I sing now for a living. I've got to the albums, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> what is all this stuff about? Yeah. But I am... Um, <laughs> and for four nights and i think we did two shows each day so eight shows yeah. he always missed those eight bars so never got it in so honestly before the very last show we split that band due to musical differences <laughs> <laughs> and bear in mind the play's coming up in about an hour's time so we're uh, having smoke down by the bus stop and it's like i'm sorry God, we've got to reform <laughs> 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 it's such this uh, ridiculous well, level of self-esteem that you have at the time where it's like i'm in the biggest goddamn band i'm i'm playing one song <laughs> and uh yeah i got my eight bars but because i was so surprised at the eight bars actually being there i just played the main riff <laughs> <laughs> oh that's such a, I, um, 
I, I, that's a, a tragic story. <laughs> I, I want to have your eight bars. I want you to blow. Yeah, I will. It's all right. I've got the eight bars. My own fault after that point. <laughs> I can't blame Connor for that anymore. But yeah, it's just the ridiculous of bands when you're young, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'm trying to think. I, don't, I can't remember what the name of the band I was in. Someone let me be in their band. I was like third guitar or something. <laughs> and that we could play just and the bends, and that was it. And then no other songs. We'd just go to, we'd like rehearse in Sam Can's house, and then we'd play those two songs over and over again for two hours and then go home and go, yeah, we're in a band. <laughs> just, I don't know. We had, um, I think it was Lithium by Nirvana and uh, Don't Look Back in Anger. Yeah. Oh, we had that as our sort of two songs that we can go to. Um, and um, it was a kink song as well we had, actually. One of the two famous kink songs that anybody knows. Yeah. Uh, uh, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you really got me. Right. Uh, That's really it. Got me go. Yeah, okay. When oh, we raise the blade, the amp. <laughs> Yeah, that's how yeah that's how ray davis invented um invented metal <laughs> or like, well, not really, but like they took a razor blade to the speaker inside the amp cabinet and that's how they got the distorted sound on that, oh, that. So they didn't they so you get that, that distorted car thing which they obviously is now huge but like and then you just sort of yeah mess up the sound by razor blading the speakers and then you kind of go wow this is um what this instrument was born to sound like and it's this huge thing yeah, yeah. that's good to know that yeah, really Come, good. Give like, me all these interesting facts. Well, <laughs> that's like, I need. Like, um, Elvis, because like, you know, there's a so on our first, the, the first song on our first album, I say that once in a corridor in Mel, in, in Memphis was a singer yes. took a breath, right? Which is a reference to um, Heartbreak Hotel, where Elvis couldn't get the decent sound on the vocal, went out into the corridor where there was better echo and kind of invented rock and roll because, like, just by having this echo for no reason other than it sounded cool. And yeah. um, having, having them release the album, found out it wasn't in memphis and i got the wrong studio <laughs> so <laughs> it's a complete lie i mean the, the story is true but it's in it was in nashville so yeah so i'm ashamed of, think... i'm so ashamed of it <laughs> also well, I, I houston, you... it's just a while i'm confessing things the, the word houston is not pronounced houston it's houston in texas it's houston in other parts of the country in houston in new york and i pronounced I, someone told me the wrong one and so i sang it wrong on david Corey superstar which is another thing that i will never get over <laughs> See, that is, what, that is one that I did spot because I thought it was an old pronunciation as it was coming out. <laughs> yeah, no, awful. And like someone told me, someone said, I said, which one is it? And they said the wrong one. And so I did it. And I was like, and then it's too late. And ah, oh. this is why, this is kind of why I want to bring it back, re-record it as a cast album for a musical <laughs> and then just get it right and never ever think about it again. But Jesus. Well, I also, I spelled the word Britannia wrong on a video. Anyway, sorry. Oh, is that um, everything English to the enemy? Yeah, I spelled I did the wrong number of T's in Britannia, and literally the first comment is, oh, it's Britannia for fuck's sake. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's taken me seven weeks to realise that uh, I'd misspelled something on our summary for a podcast. Oh, really? What? Uh, I just, I'd accidentally put a W at the end of who. <laughs> so it was who. Oh. I've tried to be camp, god damn it. Um <laughs> But that's the thing with the with the Elvis one though, yeah. I think you can still make the argument that Memphis works just because you'd never say he's Elvis, but if you say a musician or a singer in Memphis, people will make the assumption of Elvis. So sure. so I wouldn't hold, I wouldn't worry too much about that one. The Houston one, though, that's egregious. Unspeakable, unspeakable isn't it? It's heinous. <laughs> it's, absolutely heinous. I can't it's, bear it. I can't bear it. 
absolute horror show. <laughs> yeah. No, I, but, I, I, I just I, there's no punishment severe enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's always worse when you're the <laughs> the only people who know it's there as well. <laughs> Nobody else is like. No oh, singing. there are people. There are there are people who know just that one. They do. They're not happy. New. No. I tried so hard to get it, you know, to kind of to to, to be like I think you know I don't there aren't any like glaring howlers in like the factual the lyrical content like this, on the whole things that are presented as factual in that record are factual and they're not clear then they're not clear in the lyrics and but i just can't pronounce the word houston well no you did do a lot of work with that album to make everything not enough, fit so well. enough not enough I should have got the fucking work. <laughs> don't, don't give me a pass i don't deserve one <laughs> in my eyes you give me a pass in hell <laughs> Oh, you never know. <laughs> it's a demon in my face for eternity, screaming, Houston, Houston, <laughs> forever. Houston, we got a problem here. It's going to be awful. <laughs> that, that was the other one, actually. The, when I was thinking of, you made a you know, cracking song about the ATF. And there's something going down in Waco as well. It's a ridiculously catchy song. <laughs> I just never... It's like all the, all the parts, all the ingredients should not work well. They should have. Beautifully recorded one as well. Yeah, we recorded that in Texas. Yeah, there were four of them recorded in Texas. So Superstar, Something's Going Down in Waco, Seven Seals, and one other. Yeah, one of the others. One of the other ones. Uh, yeah, John and Yeah. Um, and we did that with our friend Joy in um it was Actually, it was technically our honeymoon. So <laughs> we got married in Las Vegas, and our honeymoon was like we kind of went, but then we kind of did quite a lot of work on our honeymoon that we made, made a record and. Yeah, please, tell, please tell me you did like the the typical Vegas of weddings, like a drive through with Elvis there for you. It was a drive through, but Elvis was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had um, a gold suit, <laughs> and he did. And we had to pick songs, and we had the Devil in Disguise, and we had Now or Never. Yeah. And at the end of Now or Never, you know, he goes, My love. Well, you know, that goes up to that note. Yeah. He went, It's Now or Never, my love. It's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> and the preacher was like, oh, by the power granted to me, by, vested in me by the state of Nevada. <laughs> took about 10 minutes. It was fantastic. Oh, I think there is the easiest and best weddings to do, though. I'm, I despair at the thought of, at some point in my future, having to have one of those sort of more stereotypical, well, we'll have this big building, we'll have all these people. All I can think yeah. of is, well, money's going to be awful. <laughs> Yeah, just go last uh, Vegas. Cost, it costs about $300, and then you just get in, done. <laughs> get yeah. You get your photo, pay extra for the photo, and then you're off. Yeah. And then, you know, buffets, they've got buffets just waiting in all the hotels. So you Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're very, it's very last days of Rome, isn't it, the buffet? Yes. Like you have, um, it's so cheap because they want you to gamble, you see. So they so they make all the buffets super cheap. So you can You can go and have like a really gigantic last days of Rome type meal. And you, and and you doesn't it doesn't cost you very much. And so what you do is you kind of go and grab like a whole chunk of parmesan and you put it on your plate and you're like, why have I done this? <laughs> I don't need a whole chunk. I mean, I would use this at home over a few weeks. Six months. Six months worth of parmesan. And, and because you're full, you leave the parmesan on your. You plate. just take one bite and then throw it away. This is what I mean about being in a dream. Why should I wake up? You know, it's like yeah. it's all there. It's like, well, why were we doing that? <laughs> will that be something in the future that is just will, will people will look back and go, yes, people in people used to put whole chunks of parmesan on their plate and then throw them in the bin <laughs> because they were full. <laughs> madness. Madness. Our yeah. children will be like, oh, the irresponsible 
Naughty's generation or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wasting food. I think we left a lobster, didn't we? I didn't leave it. I ate yeah, my lobster. There was a lobster just did, sitting I... there. We couldn't finish it because it was too much. Lobster I think I, I finished my lobster. I'm good. I'm, I've got Methodist back. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. They wouldn't approve. I don't, my granddad would not approve of leaving a lobster. No, probably not. No lobsters left behind. It was like $29 or something. Like it was nothing. You know, it cost Yeah, like the whole buffet was like, yeah, like $30, like 20 quid for like. <laughs> Completely yeah, ridiculous. Insane. Like, oh, yeah. you know. I mean, I have to end this book to play now. We're just sort of going, oh, yes, yeah, it was awful. It was so good. It was awful. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was so ashamed. <laughs> that was really no, lovely. it was brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, and then we went and drove to Texas from there, and then we, made, we were making some of that record. And we went well, to he... Waco, um, to, to the site, which is actually not in Waco. It's like an hour's drive from Waco. Um, ah, but Texas ah. is massive, so like an hour's drive is like popping to the corner shop. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah, it's really weird. They're like locusts. Like you'd step off the road and like just like thousands of locusts would like swarm over. It's a very biblical feeling place. Like, <laughs> it's hot wind blowing through the plains. And then as we were stood there, there's like a, a memorial set up to the people who died in the fire, um, of which several of the stones have been stolen. And a lot of the stones are to aborted fetuses. So like it's sort of like unnamed aborted fetus Koresh. It's like the name on the, the headstone. Because the women were pregnant. Because pregnant women died who died in the fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, they, and there's a big sign outside saying government not welcome on this land and stuff and then and we were stood there looking at the stuff going oh, look at us. and then this this truck there's like a long winding road that comes from a, a building distance because there are some buildings still there and it's this truck just slowly winding its way down towards us and we're like oh we're totally getting killed <laughs> it's really bad. Well, they all have guns. in america they all have a gun it's not like in, in england where they come with their notepad and like a I don't know a stick or something it's, it's america they just shoot you like i mean if they were you're on their property they're allowed to as well if you you know yeah like we're definitely dying out here. we're yeah, definitely going to die at waco trying to make a concert dub about it and we'll just deserve it there's yeah, nothing we okay. can say but no the guy and then the guy came with this truck and he just sort of like tipped his hat to us in a text and where we were like <laughs> oh it's fine we get to live um <laughs> just pissed dribbling down the line recorded some of the silence <laughs> the silence of the place just so we could have an actual recording of the silence of the actual location in the background of the album. So, so that's the wankiest thing we've probably done. Not, <laughs> top, wankiest. not wankiest. Top, top, top hundred wankiest. Mm. But you know, you've got to do things like that. So, you, well, and you cannot hear the silence that is officially there. Well, let's say I think we now need a top hundred wankiest list by the Indelicates uh, for print by Christmas. Podcast yeah. of hundred hundred episode podcast series. Yeah. <laughs> wankiest moments. Yeah. I think you time, know probably there's a time where we went we went um in the we recorded songs for Swing Lovers in a, a studio that used to be the East German radio building and most of it was derelict, but a few buildings were open and our friend Ed who um produced that record, who used to be in a band called Kinky, very good band, but he um He'd, take, he'd, he'd rented this studio and was, was working in there for a while. Um, but then like, one, one of the days we just wandered off and like explored this giant derelict East German radio building. And we found like, you know, sort of empty lift shafts and like weird sort of terrifying cellars full of slightly radioactive looking things. And, um, and we found a giant heap of, um, of magnetic tape. And being, because we'd, we'd, like, we'd like paid a flat rate for like as long as we wanted in that studio because Ed was 
are very good at music but very bad at business um and so we went back and we're like instead of making a record today let's spend the whole day unwinding this magnetic tape and then putting it through this real drill tape recorder and recording it so we did it and it was like a a, a, a 1980s east german news broadcast about the nuclear corridor and stuff which we then all right we'll put that in the background of one of the records so one of the songs and i think roses yeah. is like you can hear a german talking in the background and that is that so. is that during the intro of roses um, and, and it's it's throughout, but mostly it's in the in the section in the middle, which is oh, the A section. I, I yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that's what that is. So that's that's in the top hundred rankings. But we but we we had to go into this very really quite frightening building, and um, there was we kept going past lift shafts that were broken. Um, so if we'd fallen, you know, we would have just died or whatever, broken our legs. Um, and I do still have dreams about um, you know falling down there and just getting stuck in the eastern time so in the dreams you actually end up I've in east down germany and I, and then I, in the ddr in like, well, like yeah yeah i'm very I, I was very very scared of nuclear war when i was little i was really obsessed with it and i i've really still we tried to watch Chern- chernobyl you know the program yeah and i i couldn't i, mean, I, I successfully watched I, I watched maybe a the first episode and I just I just couldn't sleep so I just shut my eyes and I'd be like I, I was stuck in you know yeah I just, I just, it's, a, it's a very weird feel that I can't seem to shake at all so, so I'm gonna apologize because I'm gonna give you guys another compliment the keyboard or piano part at the very start of Roses is amazing oh yeah it's all right isn't it I don't really play that one because I, I I find them um, I find the ones that I sing a bit embarrassing sometimes, but no, I, I, I agree with you, James. Really good keyboard parts. He's very good at the piano, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Well, it's also again, it's another interesting concept of a song because it's a, a sort of a love song, but it's about a person who's murdering you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and sort of yeah, and sort of and but you know, it's so cabaret as well, isn't it? Because it's all about messing yeah. with demons that you don't have any control over and all that stuff. I think Simon wrote it. I didn't. Yeah. No, no, you well, I didn't write the words. Right? I think I, I corrected your draft. Simon usually fixes my words because my words are usually a bit, um, you know, a bit, a bit like a bit shady. You usually, you'll usually do like a verse and a chorus, and then I'll write another verse and a chorus to yeah. finish off. But like, yeah, but, yeah. But no, it's most definitely mostly it's definitely a seventy percent, seventy-five percent. I find that what happens is I'll write something, and I'll, I'll like because I used to write poetry, and I used to write quite concise poetry. Not yeah. all, but, but the more recent poetry was quite concise. I'll write um a verse, and then I'll be like, well, I've said everything I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I have that issue. Not <laughs> well, enough song, so you, you, unless it's a dance, unless it's dance music, in which case you just you know loop it. But yeah. um. <laughs> I, I pretty much the same is when I'm writing lyrics because I everything I try and do is always real stream of consciousness. It's got to be done in that instant. I get to, I could probably get to the end of a chorus and I'm going, yep, yeah, no, I've blown my load. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's it now. And then it goes, uh, then it gets sits in a dusty notebook for six months <laughs> until I pull it out again and go, oh yeah, I could add this maybe. And yeah. then I forget about it and never actually write any music for. Them. The second verse, just the same again, but change the pronouns. <laughs> there you go, whole different dimension. There you are. Yeah, that's yeah. the top tip for you there for your lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I or I always end up like looking at looking at what I have got just after and then going, oh, you've tried to be Paul Weller there, haven't you? <laughs> you find something. So we did release a single. Where I was quite obviously trying to be Paul Weller, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't really criticise you. <laughs> oh, I know. I had a song written called uh, "Bye Bye Mr. Fat Man," which is about a tax collector who uh, 
dies of a heart attack, who no one cares about. And I was trying my best to write. That's, Jack a, S- cut USM. That's a very cut USM sort of um, sort of thing to write. Well, his problem is like at the time I was massively into the jam. I yeah, fucking awesome. But <laughs> but the issue I had is I was trying to make everything sound like that last section of uh, down in the tube station at midnight where you know right. as I lay there dying the last thing I saw was it and yeah just it, it didn't go well <laughs> in <laughs> hindsight I mean that was back when I was about 14 as well I've had, I've had a fair few years to try and mature since I think, I think that's a great way to write though I mean I think you just you know you find something that like sparks your interest and then you kind of try and make your version of it and it inevitably doesn't really sound like the original and sounds like you and that's kind of how it I think that's I think loads of stuff we've done is ultimately that's where it's come from. I what usually what I'll do is if we kind of we'll get a new instrument like a, or like you pick up a, well, we'll get a banjo and then you can write the same song again because you kind of you've sort of written enough songs on the guitar that like you run out of you can't just do those chords again. But if you do the same chords on a different instrument, you can't. Oh yeah, okay, I can find new ways of doing that. And so is that just, sort of why we end up with more of a sound change from like the Bad Seasons of England? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you sort of, again, you don't want to just make the same thing. I mean, it's, I think there are two, well, actually, some people do, and I think there's kind of two kinds of people doing this, in that there's people who, they're in, they've got like, they've got the idea of what they want to sound like in their head, and each each attempt to get closer to it, and so you'll get bands, mm-hmm. like something like The Cure, where it's just like, it's just he's trying to make that sound he's got in his head over and over again, and, <laughs> then he, gets, and he approaches it in different ways, but ultimately, and in a way, I think that's probably a more successful strategy, and I think bands that do that really well um like suede i suppose or like though there's more variety in later suede and um but but you know where it kind of like they kind of always homing in on something and then whereas and then there's bands which are more like us where you kind of will just be like no no I'm, i've done that now i want to move on to try and do something else which i think is a lot is a harder sell in a way because like it kind yeah of, it's less of a it's less coherent in a way but um well i think I, it always runs the risk more. of it always runs the risk of alienating the people who've already got there off the yeah i mean i think you was, I, I definitely feel like we sort of whittled people down it's like, <laughs> all right, like that okay um i think the first album was sort of fairly straightforward and like you know people were like well we like that and they'd go well, well do you like that do you like this all right you you who are left do you like this <laughs> and then you, you who are left how about this and then eventually you've just got like one bloke and he's going yeah i liked all of it but everyone else has left so you're pretty much just stuck with me and my brother <laughs> your brother now yeah that's it that's it and one bloke in brazil who we cannot go to see well, we've we've somehow managed to get um a fan from america for the podcast Excellent. i don't know how i don't know any americans connor doesn't know any americans <laughs> but someone in america is bloody listening fantastic <laughs> so I, i'm really sorry about that whole houston thing man <laughs> I'm, I'm just talking directly to your american fan i won't cool. do it again i promise i'm really sorry that's cool what we can do then we can do a uh the david crash reunion tour <laughs> take it too well, I, mean, I, I, I really do want to get that on stage because we kind of that's kind of kind of what we're we, so we did this paradise rocks musical last year and, and this um this kind of paradise lost in the style of an elvis movie um I but I, the next thing after it. that is i really want to do the david Koresh show also i really want to do this acid house musical that i was working on but i don't know how i'm gonna that's not gonna happen for a while now because we can't have people in a room doing acid house but yeah anyway but like but, but, but yeah i do want to get the david Koresh on stage and, and kind of broaden it out and have more people sing it and see what we can do there so we'll see well i hate to say this considering he's not with us on the show today um connor does literally tour around the world starring in musicals and doing junk bands and weird shit i guess i'm pretty sure we could get him involved in that or he would be somebody's help i'll be willing to help out as well because that would 
be fucking phenomenal. It'll be fun. Yeah, cool. Where are you? I don't even know where you are. Oh, sorry. I'm down in I'm down in Plymouth. Oh, Plymouth. All right. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, just, yeah. just in the arsehole of the country. Uh, along the coast near, near Brighton now. So. Yeah. yeah, so it's not exactly a major commute for either of us. We're both down in Plymouth, so... But yeah, if you do actually, yeah, well, it's definitely at the stage where I'm sort of like going, oh, we need just we just need people to get involved and who just you know, mad people who've no self-respect who just want to throw themselves into something like that's kind of that's kind of the only way to do it because you know there's no money or anything. So, well, exactly, um, yeah, anything like that. I'm is... pretty bad at filling in like arts council forms. I've got a very friend who like <laughs> will, will fill in arts council forms, and I'm just so bad at it. And I just I just go, oh, no, screw it, we'll just do it anyway. Which is a bad approach. But like, <laughs> in, the, in the long term, it's a bad approach, but in the short term, it's like all I can stand. So. Like, we've been doing this. We've been doing it in parks. We did like we just did. A, we went went to um, Brighton with the the Book of Job show the other day, and we just sort of set it up in a park and just did it as like a sort of for free to anyone who wanted to turn up just to, just to do something because I've been able to do anything for months and and yeah, no, it worked really well. So I mean, but again, it's not exactly a profitable endeavour. Well, I say I suppose sometimes it's do you enjoy it that's the main thing i think as much as yeah. money money's important in this life we all need it to live but doing things like that and being able to go out and do things like that and especially with your well i say your and julia's level of creativity as well like you if you can enjoy doing that and then just set up these random ad hoc shows in yeah, the middle of the park it's i think it's the thing is like we we do try and make money for things and we do try and sell things and you know and in the past we have done that moderately well but like we'd be doing it anyway i think is the thing we can't get away from yeah and so we've got no we've got no leverage with the world we can't sort of say listen world either you pay <laughs> us or we'll stop because you know we won't <laughs> so we'll just be we'll be there anyway so it's like we're in a in terms of economics we're not in a good position because <laughs> we're not we're not we don't manufacture our own scarcity <laughs> well i think one thing you can do for a minute then as though chance other people will be listening to this are people who are already fans and have your albums and five people that I know. Um, <laughs> feel free to plug your website in that as well. Because um, oh, it is an amazing website. Because <laughs> it's all just... Yeah, it's right. Um, I need to probably redo it at some point in the next few years. It's been three years since we did a release. I haven't fiddled with it. Yeah, indelicates.com has everything. Um, the other thing we've been doing recently, as, I'm, as you've invited me to, we've been trying to sell this magazine, which is kind of for children, which is like, is, do you, if you remember Storyteller magazine with like tapes from the 80s. Yeah. I just thought, I just thought, I love that. And I want to make, and so while we've been trapped in the house, we've kind of made a, a magazine that comes with a CD, but everything's on Spotify as well. And you can just find that's at storygoblins.com. Um, just just that, like, some of the stories there, they're quite funny. They're quite anarchic and weird. And they're all on Spotify and everything. But we're trying desperately to sell those magazines, which is ridiculously hard, it turns out, because um, no one's got any money or anything. But yes, that's, that's what I'm plugging at the moment. Well, the main thing I always love about your website as well is the fact that it looks like a normal website and then you've got bullshit and ephemera. <laughs> and I, that's... What those, I think bullshit is like press quotes because I think, it's, you know, it's so stupid. Like, I think it's like, because every time you try and do things, it's like you get these, oh, I, I want to play a gig. Oh, we've played with is always the line that people use. And then they list people who've been on the same bill as them. And it's like, now, yeah. now Bastille, right, supported us. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't rate them. But like, but I don't think anyone would tell us, like the PR would say, oh, you've got to write played with Bastille. It's like, I'm not fucking putting that. It's <laughs> just absolutely not. But they they played with us, if anything. Um, but yeah, it's like being on the same bill as if that means anything. But like, so it is bullshit. So it seemed like the fitting heading for the website. Well, I think to be fair, majority of um, majority of the music business in any sense is bullshit. Yeah. It's the. Because it doesn't necessarily reward. My just walked in. He's just fascinated to see someone's going. 
Hello. 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 Right. What's your favourite album? Um, Daddy Donut. Daddy Donut. It's got a really good album about dinosaurs, Daddy Donut. Genuinely <laughs> really good album about dinosaurs. What's the actual <laughs> I can't remember what the actual name of the album's called, but Daddy Donut has got one about. Um, it's, it's kind of it's really it's quite punk rock. He's Swedish, and it's like he's got he's got one that sounds like um, Lost for Life about a T Rex. <laughs> it's like it's um, yeah, it's like it's a really it's, it's my favourite of all the dinosaur based concept albums that are out there, of and which I, there are some. My favourite and my favourite song of her him is is Running from a T Rex. Running from a T Rex, a very <laughs> scary T Rex. <laughs> Check it out. Genuinely though, if you've got any interest at all in concept albums about dinosaurs, Daddy Donut is the one to go for. He's he's a legend. Yeah, yeah I'm just it's kidding. cool. I've written it down in my notebook. Excellent. <laughs> as long uh, also uh, yeah, I've got it down vile paragraph at the opera, so <laughs> I do make notes throughout all these. <laughs> I'm sorry about the notes. I'm I'm sorry if you are ever investigated <laughs> for the contents of your notebook. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well no thank- thankfully it's mostly albums and then occasionally i'll write something rude just in case anyone looks at the notebook <laughs> <laughs> although i think i'll be writing rude stuff in there anyway um yeah but going back because so in terms of lyrics and i promise i won't keep you too much i know you've got no no you're fine i just the only i'm just julia sort of in and out because because the baby is the only thing so i it's not the patriarchy well it sort of is but like i mean it's it's yeah the baby keeps <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah so we're just I'm, talk, I'm talking more than her for that reason so. yeah, yeah no that's that's okay like i said with julia if if she did want to come on we'll do it by herself like that actually if that'd work I mean, I, I don't know. I think she, she's. We'll, yeah, we'll, she's we'll, she'll, maybe she'll be back in before we're done. But like, yeah, that, that's. We'll fine. sort it out at some point. Yeah. But you've got my email anyway, so that's always handy. Although, it's I can't explain how weird it is though. Having an email pop up in it being Simon and Delicate and going, <laughs> I only know these people from the music I listen to. <laughs> I only know this sort of angry nihilistic person. <laughs> well, I mean. On the basis that it is a bit weird, like having, I know what I'm like when I try and be friends with Jim Bob, which I can't do. So um, it's like, it's, uh, James, I met James Dean Bradfield and I accidentally got into a, got into an, I got into a weird, like, it was really, it's like, because I was too scared to go up to him and Julie was like, no, I'll go up to him. So Julie just sort of marched up to him and was like, hi, with, with the Indelicates, hi. And it was backstage at a festival that we were, we were headlining on stage, like the, that one year when we were doing really well in Europe. Um, so we were headlining one of the stages, and the Manics were headlining the other stage. And obviously, there was a much bigger stage, and I was the little one. Like it was still, it was, you know, we were quite, we were kind of meeting more as equals than I ever thought I would be able to meet. <laughs> yeah. But and but she, she went up to him, and he started. I don't know because he, because I obviously I love him and, and I love this band, and it was really a bit much. But he was saying he sort of said he obviously he's used to meeting people, and he's also used to living up to being like the clever band. So he had yeah. this thing he said where he was like, oh yeah, we've just been uh, we've been on a bus, we've just been trying to work out uh, which which albums have got like sizuric pauses in the title, right? Obviously thinking that I would not know what a sizuric pause was, and I'd be all impressed. And like, oh, it's, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You're, you're the clever band. I'm glad to meet you. But I've got a degree in Renaissance studies, so I was like, I do know what a sizuric pause is. So I said something like, Oh yeah, you could, like uh, like there's one in Satisfaction, isn't there? You can't get no Satisfaction. Thereby demonstrating that I knew what he meant and I knew what a sizuric pause was. At which point he just sort of looked like just sort of annoyed why <laughs> it's done this and really overstepped a boundary and he sort of reverted to he was like well he said he said well i'm just a boy from the valleys what do i know 
I'm having an argument with you. I don't mean to have an argument. I love you. You accidentally um, humbled but, James Dean Bradfield. <laughs> I, I, well, and I really, yes, exactly. I was, I just sort of, I was like, I felt like I'd sort of colonially stamped in his face. I was like, no, I didn't, didn't mean, I didn't mean to come here flashing the degree around. James, you're amazing. I love yeah, so that was bad. But, they, but, they, but you know, so I just, I think at that point, I was like, I'll just like people from afar. I don't need to meet them. It's just, I, I, I can't be trusted. And we got to watch them, watch their set from the side of the stage, which is like the best thing ever. So that was fine. Well, was so fine. Uh, the only brush with bands we've really had is a bunch of us went up to uh, Bristol to watch Billy Talent. Right. All massive Billy Talent fans. Yeah. Um, but the way, because they've changed Bristol about, uh, around a little bit now, but where the old coast station used to be by Colston Hall, it was literally walking distance to uh, the O2 Academy there. Right. And we'd been up on the strip having a few beers back in those days when we were young and pretending that that's how you live life. Yeah. Um, but we're walking back, walking back past and uh, just outside the O2 Academy, there's four blokes there with their two of us. And we're like, that's Billy Talent. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the most obnoxious thing you could ever do where it's like, your guy's great gigging. <laughs> but thankfully they were they were really cool um they ended up pinching us a cigarette off me <laughs> well thought, thought i would have a sec <laughs> you're the guys that can afford them or at least compared to me <laughs> it's a fundamentally impossible situation because there's that robert anton wilson thing about how communication is only possible between equals that like the minute there's any kind of power imbalance in a conversation then you can't you stop communicating and it's yeah. why politicians don't trust what people are telling them because people don't trust politicians and it kind of spirals out of control and i think that's totally true like every time i've like you know you put me in a conversation with jim bob which i've attempted to do on several occasions and i'm just not capable of it like i just can't he's i'm 212 when i see him yeah. so, well i just you know i'll just sit with you and like les like fruit bat is it is a lot easier to talk to and um, so i've sort of managed to have quite decent conversations with fruit bat in the past but like the gym bar, I just, i'm just not I'm just, i can't do it so i just i i just sit i just i think it's better for me and everyone if i just go look i'm just gonna go listen to your own. i'm gonna think they're brilliant tell other people they're brilliant and then you can just stay away from me because it's the only way to go i think there would only be i think there'd only be one musician who i would who i would completely count like thankfully due to varying issues with um bipolar disorder if yeah. i'm on a manic phase i could talk to anyone it's brilliant yeah. but if I were to meet if I were to meet Jason Newstead, the former bassist of Metallica, like he right. was my idol growing up, like when he had the long curly hair and that big right. snarl we used to do the growling back work, it was I wanted to be that. I thought, I'm yeah. gonna grow up to this and then I didn't grow past five foot six. <laughs> and so <laughs> and my hair wouldn't grow long either, so I've had to try the punk method of just dyeing it random colours since. <laughs> um but if I met him I think that'd be the only one where I'd sort of clam up and be like <laughs> Mr. Newstead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. You know, it's just a weird thing, isn't it? I think it's, it's that, especially if you're into... I mean, I think people I was into when I was 15, 16, I'd be okay with. But like, with Carter, it's just, I was just too young. I was, it's, it's my brain's pride. I can't deal with it. Well, yeah, that's it. I think, like, um, yeah, a lot of the other bands I'm into, so like, bands like The Cribs. Yeah. I would be able to meet them fine, I think. Yeah. Uh, even though their music, again, is much like yourself, it's had a big impact on me. Like, you always has mine... Uh, get my words out like you always has to me as well i i think i reckon i could pull off equal footing with the cribs yeah i suppose i speak doing a podcast as well because it's like you kind of there's a reason to be talking you're not just going hello exactly. <laughs> i'd like to talk to you and yeah it's a weird thing but... I'm not gonna lie though <laughs> with um severe anxiety i was sat there last night just sort of going guys i'm having a bit of a panic attack <laughs> and my friend my friend just texted back you're gonna be fine you can talk 
you can talk at length about anything because you never shut the fuck up <laughs> and i was like yeah i understand that side it's gonna be fine but will they, but will they like me <laughs> that, oh. that, that really sort of like i can't Irish. i can't, I can't I, I, yes i've barely heard of myself i'm not famous enough to, have to reply to anything with I, yes of course we like you yes no I, <laughs> that was never going to be in doubt it's always fine i was anxious too i'm anxious to talk to everyone I've got all yes, the same I... shit. I've got all the same shit. All that bipolar shit. It's like, oh, crap. Kanye West. Did you hear that Kanye West song about where he just starts? Oh, I can't remember which one, which album it was, but there's one where he just starts shouting about um, it ain't a fucking, it ain't a disability. It's a superpower. Ah! <laughs> like, oh wow, that is appallingly close to home, Kanye West. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like it was really kind of like got right into you. Yeah. If you know what that's about, then you're like, oh man, I really know what that's about. Well, I think that's why I connected so much with um, like the early Manic stuff is yeah. whilst Richie was struggling with all his issues. It's like, that's why the Holy Bible we, does fit perfectly with me. It's like my favourite song from that album is Four Seven Seven Pounds. Not yeah. so much because of the uh, the anorexia side of things, because I, I can never be guilty of being thin. However, like when he gets to um, you know self-worth, self-worth, self-esteem's a bore, long since moved to a higher plateau, all that kind of stuff. And um such beautiful dignity and self-abuse like yeah. at the time is when i was a mixed up little well i was a mixed up little toe rag <laughs> i would like that line would always just catch me I'm like you bastards you've made me connect yeah man <laughs> yeah he really got it down didn't he so he really he really got that stuff out before he before he left that yeah it was amazing it's amazing it is amazing i know people who kind of will are quite down on it and then think that like and think that it did encourage things like that whole period yeah and like and i'm not sure what i think about that because i kind of sort of like oh no he didn't and then i think back well it sort of did with me a little bit so <laughs> i probably did things that i probably wouldn't have done necessarily otherwise and I, and I think and i know people would say well they should have put like a, a phone number at least in the albums or something and i sort of see what they mean but at the same time you know it's like you know it's, it's art isn't it you can't well i think the issue is though if you look back on it with more modern day sensibilities and you'd say oh yeah you'll put the number for mind and things like that on there but at a time like when richie was struggling it mental health is still a massive taboo even today it's yeah, yeah. i i'd much prefer to be like i've lay my cards out on the table i've got no issues telling everybody about my problems because it means i get to talk for ages and people don't interrupt which is <laughs> <laughs> what i love uh so it's yeah. that so i think and also as well i think if you if you can be open nice about it about it if there's other people in the room that are listening to you and they're struggling and they haven't gone to that stage where they can be open it might give them a help in the right direction yeah. um but again that's all that's all thanks to harriet the uh, drama teacher her her husband's bipolar and so like when he first came to speak to us it was like you yahtzee you've got what i got yeah <laughs> it's man. Awesome. yeah but, it's like weird. but um one of the thing one other thing i'm gonna ask you then before i probably get back to normality um <laughs> lyrically speaking your albums and obviously i don't know don't know what the divide is in terms of you julia for the lyrics but lyrically it's phenomenal because it's so different from mm. everything else i hear like the fact that it's, um you know you then drop in references to jacques derrida and <laughs> michelle Foucault and things like that i remember we played that once in a above a pub in camden right and um and obviously that i refer to those in quite an ironic way like i'm not just sort of, and oh sort yeah of, it's uh, not just a it's here's of, what i know yeah but but someone apparently was leaving left during that song and my friend keith was like oh do you not like the band fellow and he was like he was like oh it's just a bunch of twats going on about what books they've read <laughs> 
Just sort of completely, that totally owned me. I was like, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely what it is. Anyway, sorry, carry on. But it's, I was going to say, it's like little things like that, and it doesn't seem to matter what song it is. You always manage to write lyrics that A, fit perfectly with the music, or so it's, well, I don't know whether lyrics come first for you or music comes first and then the lyrics follow. Mm. Um, I'm always a lyrics first person because it yeah. takes me too much, too too long to write music. Um, but it's, how much is that, how much of that writing style is based on your own influences in terms of bands and musicians? Okay, um, yeah, I suppose there are two. I guess Julia's sort of just, I think she's just given up and doing babies Sorry, now. But, no, they, they just keep jumping on me. That's okay. I'll, I'll try and sum you up as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, there's kind of two ways we do this. kind of, these days, there's sort of two kinds of songs, indelicate songs. There's songs that Julia will sort of like start and not finish, and I'll finish, which is sort of about half of them. And then there's ones that I'll do on my own, and then occasionally there'll be ones that Julia just does all the way through on her own. Um, quite a lot of the time julia will kind of like but but then i the idea of a divide doesn't really make sense with us because i think we just you know like we're married and like if i'm I'm usually like a song that i think julia is intending to write you know like it's not all coming from me so i don't really take credit for anything i I think it's all by us yeah and and even if like the actual process of typing out and writing recording stuff and demoing it and here has just been me I, i i never really feel like it's I never feel like, oh, that's one by me. It's always by us. They're all by us. Even yeah. once because, like, you know, it's, it's their conversations we've had and stuff we've, we've thought about. And, you know, we, we're we quite in tune with each other and we've been, we've been together a long time. So um, so there's that. And in terms of, like, really, was, I suppose it's like it goes back to bands like, like Carter, where it is, like I say, it felt yeah. like it was. Like, that's what you're, well, that's what it's for in a way. Like, you can't just. Um, and actually, often music I listen to it isn't necessarily like that, and, quite, and I will listen to inst- instrumental stuff and stuff that isn't lyrics. But I kind of, for me, I feel like if I'm, because I think you could like we talk about being wanky and stuff, and people could have accused us of being pretentious. But I think if you're me, it would be much more pretentious to kind of pretend that I'm like the Strokes or something. Like I'm not mainly thinking about girls and drugs. I'm married yeah. and I've got children, and I'm, you know, I, it's not the sort of thing that I. That's not the thing my head is full of about how cool it is to stand on the street corner. That's not something I tend to think about. As I am usually thinking about like Unity Midfield or something because I'm a bit of a twat. So kind of, <laughs> it would be more pretentious to pretend that's not true. So I kind of you, you do write that. Do you and think suppose, people? Do you think people view that as pretentious? Because I think a lot of times people will always judge music as it's about the basest sort of things. So mm-hmm. sex, drugs, rock and roll, yo failed relationships so i think when music is being used by somebody who rather than call you a twat would say (laughs) is more on the nerdier side of things like is it and they don't understand it as much i suppose i don't don't really think of myself as a nerd but i do speak it fluently (laughs) yeah Um, trust me i know (laughs) it's a a good question because i I suppose what i really like in art is when the thing that's being communicated i like so i like things that are complex and difficult but i don't like things that are complex and difficult about things that don't need to be complex and difficult yeah. like kind of if you read like sort of postmodern criticism like what often the, what they're saying is often extraordinarily obvious and simple like you know people like eastenders because it's got people in it or like something that, it's like that kind of thing but then you dress it up in this ridiculous language and, and that really annoys me but i do really love it when something is really complicated and difficult because the thing it's about is complicated and difficult yeah so something like and this is a controversial one because he's not exactly the most uncounselable of people but something like a Lars von trier film 
um, something like Antichrist, which is yeah. about a really difficult emotion that's very hard to, or melancholia, an even better example, which is about like how depressed people work better in crisis situations because and it's like this it's almost like you can't sum it up in a sentence because it takes a really pretentious film to get to what he's talking about yeah like it takes it takes two hours to explain it and i like stuff like that and so i think something like where i'm really pleased with myself and think i've done well so like on the last album for example there's a song about um jimmy savile's um about about this idea of like people in the past who were going to these um dance halls which were run by jimmy savile and later on in their lives finding out that those things were created as spider webs to ensnare young people but nevertheless still looking back on them and thinking those were the greatest memories i have in my life and i'm now old and will die soon and will not make better memories so i can't give them up and i can't see them as negative things even though i now know these facts about them like yeah that to me is a really complicated difficult idea and you have to be a bit pretentious. It, it, it requires a complicated treatment. There's no way of summing it up simply. And I kind of think that's kind of what to aim for is like, you know, do stuff that's hard. But the reason it's hard, there's a good reason for it to be hard. Not just yeah, hard you're not just throwing you're not just throwing the words in there to meet your own ends. It's to meet the actual. Is yeah. I'll get my words at some point. I've <laughs> I've lost it. Um, but no, it's like yeah. So rather than just throwing out words there because you know words you're throwing it out because it's trying to explain this complex feeling exactly. or emotion exactly. which is yeah i suppose the complete opposite of pretentiousness and it would not... well i mean that's that's the most favorable way of reading it <laughs> but, but but it does go but i think it's like the first thing i said today was like is this thing of like doing the best with what you've got mm. not just doing things badly when you've got plenty and it's like if you've if you've if you've got no money as you know we have any money if you've got no studio time but like i want to make ambitious difficult things with what i've got and what i've got is you know i'm quite good at thinking about stuff and i've got but i've got no money but i have got the computer that i can play stuff into and and you just you know you sort of go well i haven't i can't put on a massive west end show but i'm going to write one anyway and we'll see how close we can get and it's like it's always that and i suppose the, the lyrical complexity then comes from that because it's like well i want to talk about complex things and and difficult things and and hopefully in a way, but in a way that like, that, that, you know, it's always this contradiction in that you're talking about these sort of academic ideas, but you want to do it in the most populist art form there is. But I, and I, I like that. I and mean, I like that, the sort of trashiness of it all and mm. like the throwaway three minute thing. And like, if you can get something really difficult into three minutes, I kind of feel, I like that tension and difficulty. Um, and when, you know, and I like it when Carter do it, I like it when the Manics do it. And I, I and I, and, I, and, I, and I like, but I also like it when people who have no interest in that at all do want to sing about sex in a pop song for three minutes. Like, I absolutely love that. And that's all my favourite stuff is that. But if I had any suspicion that while they were doing that, like the Thong song, right? Amazing song, the Thong song. Just about like, Thong. <laughs> Greatest key change of all time. Sam Cooke level vocals. But it's just about Thongs. It's so stupid. But I don't really believe that Cisco was thinking... I think he genuinely wanted to sing about that. But if I suspected that he didn't, if I suspected that he was actually about Nazis and stuff, I feel let down. I've talked myself into a corner there. But like, you know what I mean? I'm just... I don't like it when people dumb themselves down, basically. But, 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 yeah. But, but I don't... I, I just some kind, It's probably just a, a ridiculous argument about authenticity again, which is obviously daft, but I, I cling to it. I'm, still just i'm just about generation x and i cling to this authenticity thing well if it makes you feel any better 
I very much same. Like I, I, as soon as I start to feel that a band or anything musically stops being authentic, is the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm done with them. Um, yeah, we, and it's so we, weird because it's like, even, sorry, I've interrupted you there, but I'm like, it's so weird because like I, I really like it when people are knowingly unauthentic. Like I love like David Bowie like pretending to be an alien. Like that's fine. <laughs> He's not an alien, so that's inauthentic in a way. But like it's kind of intentionally, artistically inauthentic. But when you're just when you're saying you're being authentic but you're not, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like. Well, I think um, an example for mine then is um, one of the ones sort of me and Connor have been trying to record. Uh, just random episodes where we get like an hour here or there just so we got content that can be then put in there when we got little gaps um but he wanted me to do a deep dive of the arctic monkeys who he's a massive fan of i'd never listened to and you listen to the first album it's all sort of kitchen sink realism it's working class northern british it works well but by the time you get some of the later albums it's I'm now talking about owning a space or owning a hotel and casino that's on mo- on the moon and going, you've wasted your guess here. Like you're phenomenally <laughs> lyrically. <laughs> uh, don't don't really work. know enough about them to, to have a view on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. It's yeah. It just, as soon as it sort of reeks of, Oh, you're just trying to do this because you're trying to be artsy. You're no longer this kid from Sheffield. That sort of ruins it for me, which I think is why I've loved the cribs for so long. Cause they're still, they are just still the three brothers from Wakefield. Yeah. Regardless of how they progress musically, they're still the same old people. Yeah. Um, and again, I suppose Metallica would always be a, another big one of mine. Is I'm always from Metallica. For me, it's between 1983 and 1989. As soon as you hit the Black Album, when I can't argue the Black Album too much, they were still one foot in the door of thrash, and then one foot slightly looking towards the mainstream. And then when you get to load and reload, it's very much, well, we're trying to be a grunge band now. Right. Well, why? That's not you. Mm. It's maybe what you want to do at this time because you think it's where you need to go. But this is clearly being done because you are trying to get these to the top hits. Right. That's interesting. Which I'm glad. Yeah, sorry. Well, let's just say I'm glad they've come out of that a little bit now and they're more happy just doing what they want to do. But it seems like at that point in time, it was we don't care about the authenticity of it. We just want to be trying this for more money right yeah that's a shame did you see the the film about um mayhem and burzum the the norwegian black metal stuff that came out no i haven't seen the film of it i've read a fair bit about everything that was going on yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. authenticity no, taken too far <laughs> well i mean like, yeah, that, that whole story is amazing but i, I really enjoyed it. I, I, some people a lot of people didn't like that film i, I know that La, uh, um varg from person didn't did not like that film which probably makes a good film because you don't want him to like you otherwise you're worried about yourself um <laughs> but that had a really like that was i think people didn't like the tone of it but i really loved the tone of it because it's really uneven and like ultimately i think even though for despite everything ultimately like the end of that film you're kind of left with but at least we did something <laughs> which is in the message which i thought was completely beautiful i love that that it was kind of like yeah, yeah, okay, okay, so I'm dead. My friend has killed me and he's now a white supremacist <laughs> who will be rightly going to prison. We burnt very good churches. However, what the fuck have you ever done? Who was the... Um, wasn't there... That whole um, like black metal scene was fucking mental. Because um, there was another one who committed suicide and they yeah, used dead. his picture. You know, dead. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. I mean, like, I mean, terrible. But but so young. I mean, that was the thing is that they were so young. And it and there is a real sense in which they were young people being really silly, yeah. And like that's a really important part of it. And it sort of doesn't even detract from it in a way. Like it's kind of like 
Like, there's something about that. There's something about just being just being really, really silly. But at least you've done something. <laughs> you left something. I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm saying. But it's like, it's a, yeah, it appeals to me in some way. Oh, yeah. Like, like the, the Tommy was like, you know, the, the film, the, the Room that everyone yeah. watched, which people say is a bad film, right? And it is sort of on some criteria. But at the same time, if it was a painting, right, and like, despite his breaking all the rules of painting and failing to produce a photorealistic painting, had nevertheless given you as clear a glimpse into his soul as the room yeah. gives you into Tommy Wiseau's soul. You wouldn't say that's a bad painting. You'd say that's a good painting and it'd probably be very well regarded. And it's only because film has this sort of pretension to like having rules and realism that everyone goes, well, it's objectively bad. And actually the room, what the room does is gives you a very clear portrait of him in his total failure to give a portrait of relationships. And that's really interesting because again, that is a, the book that the book that they made the film of. So they, uh, Greg, who's in the room, wrote a book called The Disaster Artist, which is an amazingly good book, which has been adapted into a quite good film. Um, but the book itself is like all about this sort of sense of artistic heroism of just like, you know, yes, he's made this, and yes, it's absurd, but he's done it, and like there he is, he's sitting yeah. in the watching this thing he's made, and like I, I love that, I just that sense of like, you know, he's done something, you know, it's, it's like he's he's actually done something. I, I think that's just. That's that's how to live, as far as I'm concerned. Though it, it's bad financially, but it's it's a if anything means anything, it's got to be that actual. Well, it's actually yeah, you've managed to achieve something that isn't just sitting in a call center taking calls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I'm doing this podcast nowadays because yeah, I want I mean, to be Oh no, I think I decided to do it during the manic phase. That was the uh, that was the genesis. It's possible that is why I'm saying all those things. <laughs> possible. Um, no, I'm pretty sure I was in a manic phase. I just shouted at Connor uh, through the phone, just going, "Podcast, we're going to do it." I'm God. <laughs> <laughs> One of those moments. But no. Yeah, I know. No, what like. <laughs> it's amazing. Paradise Rocks. No, only it's Elvis. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Oh, well, look, Simon, mate, it has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope this isn't the end of our interactions going forward because I have loved chatting to you. <laughs> yeah, I've loved chatting to you too. Thanks so much. I'm sorry, sorry about the, the baby. Well, I, I think I'll take him to a playground now. But, but yeah, um, I'm sure Julia would have said, I think we got some Julia, which is which is good. So. Yeah, we got a little bit of Julia. But if, um, yeah, if she ever does want to come on and just do so on to one, let me know. We're sort of more than happy for it. Yeah, I'll pass that on. She might want, I mean, it's possible she, she's just a bit overwhelmed at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah, real life gets in the way occasionally, but uh, it's just, it's just, there's no one to take the baby. It's just, it's just I mean, like, you know, he's a he's a, a baby who really wants to be with his mum all the time, and like you know, I'll have him, but he'll cry, and then and, and so he just wants to go back, and yeah, it's been it's been just because we keep, I think just because we've not been able to give him to anyone else during the virus and stuff, he's just sort of got really clingy to Julia. And, yeah. Um. Yeah. So she's she's suffering a bit from that at the moment. So um. But I'll, I'll pass on that, that, that that's an option. So. Yeah, no worries, man. It's um, like I say, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed meeting you, and yeah, I've enjoyed you too. And, and I've not not Jim Bob yet, so <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and I haven't offended you much like you did to poor old James Dean Bradfield. <laughs> yeah, oh god. I don't know what, I don't know this conversation Worst things I've yeah. Oh poor James. I love you. I don't want... Sorry, man. <laughs> Do you want me to just have the title of the podcast? Is we're sorry, James. <laughs> <laughs> No, not me, just me. It's like Julia was fine. She was charming and likeable and everything. It was only me that couldn't do it. <laughs> Simon, sorry, James. And then I'll just have no context in the description as to why. <laughs> why not? Uh, 
Anyway, you have yourself a good day, all right? Okay, and you. Take care, man. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye.